Hey everyone, this is Scott with Leaning Edge Archery. Rolling out the podcast, talking about money. We just left money at in Vegas. I left a lot of money in yeah, Vegas. Yeah, so did I. And then we're going to go try to make money at the ASA shoot next week. Uh, the rollout. So actually, this is what's going to talk about today is um, transitioning from the indoor target world into the outdoor target world. And we're getting ready to approach, like I said, the first term of the year is... Uh, Foley, Alabama, the ASA Pro-Am. <coughs> Bridger, you're going, correct? Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah. I'm going to go. Jaybird? Yeah, no. No, <coughs> he's not. This is not his game. I don't know. <laughs> nope. You'd have to run your track chair. You'd, <laughs> yeah. the, the mud pits might swallow him up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what's I'm worse, good. it's going to rain, I think, for the next 10 days. It yeah. always rains. Every ASA is, is, yeah, it's mud. Yeah. It just means mud. It's crazy. Uh, we were talking about it the other day. I think I've shot four years now i mean i've shot back to back back to back four years anyways we've shot i think twice where i did not wear muck boots coleman alabama in the classic and one this past year in metropolis that's it my I, I think metropolis was the only one i've ever shot and that was the first asa i ever went to but it was like 125 degrees yeah real temp yeah. and then in 900 on top of that yeah. Yeah. yeah and actually last year was the first time the year before that dude there were Four-wheel drive, massive mud tire trucks getting stuck in tractors or pulling them out. It was crazy. Oh, I remember seeing videos in, was it London, Kentucky? Yeah. Like some dude just <laughs> bombing down the hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hit a whole tent full of people. Yeah. Yep. If it's, if it's going to rain, look for an ASA tournament. It'll be on the books. So, um, Anyways, we got back from Vegas. Uh, our team did pretty good. We had uh, Keith had won, uh, I think, Flight 6. Mm-hmm. Which was kind of cool. Um, well, Keith Gary Mott. Yeah, Keith Gary Mott. He, he uh, shot a 298 on, yeah. was it day two? Day two. That's one of his, yeah, the best amazing. scores he's ever shot. It was unbelievable. Yeah, he's best he's ever done. Yeah. He actually got some confidence, which was kind of cool. So he, he thinks now he knows he can kind of play the game. So yeah. he's, because before that it was, I'm just going there to have fun. And he did. He, he did. I think he lost. <laughs> I want to say probably twelve hundred bucks. Him, him he was supposed to be the, the gangster night, gambler. <laughs> him talking about it on Sunday night. Yeah, he was up like six or eight hundred bucks, yep. and he opens the door and just <laughs> <laughs> the skies just open up. He's like, "Well, guess the Lord wants me to stay here." <laughs> yep, and he <laughs> lost, lost it all. <laughs> That's Vegas. Vegas is yeah. always a good time. You know, it's crazy though. I tell people. You want the I and it's crazy twenty yards, but I think it's the highest pressure level tournament there is out there, my opinion. Oh, hands down. Yeah, it's it's nuts, and that's what makes it so darn frustrating because you you expect to do well. It's twenty yards, you're shooting at a dot the size of a fifty cent piece, and you can't hit it. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, you see me practice every day in here. Yeah, and I miss more. I shot more nines. You shot more nines than the probably first, the last three months. Literally, so I watched Bridger day one. He shot more nines in the first. 15 minutes of that shoot than he has probably shot since August of last year. Seriously. I don't think you shot a nine here. I mean, not since when you've been like here in August. Shooting around. No, when, I mean, when you were shooting a scoring round, I don't think you shot a nine. So it was kind of crazy. But then after that, he cleaned house and just went straight, which was kind of awesome. Um, yeah, I was looking at at the scores being put out, you know, as, as everything was updating on uh, Iancel and just the level the amount of people of the pros that were dropping points on that first day was just mind-boggling we're sitting here i'm sitting on the uh on the range just sitting on the blank bell and cody 
and Peter and I were sitting there talking. I was like, dude, there's only 11 people so far right now that have shot clean. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the second wave hit. And I'd, I'd be curious to see more. if somebody could do, like, data breakdown to see when the most nines were shot, like yeah. what end. I know we don't we score highest to lowest for score, so you right. can't really tell what exact arrow. Right. But I bet, like, a large majority is shot in either the first or last end. Yeah. Oh, the first end of the first day or the last end of the last day you know what makes it so hard is i know for me is unless you get a chance to go and warm up in one of the practice ranges shooting six arrows to get warm for me is impossible i mean yeah. i went i went like x10 9 x10 9 x10 9 first three ends and then i got in the groove found it and shot clean the rest of it but it was crazy well and even then you shoot like for you well you shot champion senior championships right, so you gotta right. shoot in the the arena there but you're shooting in completely different direction mm -hmm. and that the vip range which i mean it's nice being able to just walk in grab a target slap right. it up and shoot but right. man you just different direction the ceiling different the air, like the temperature is even different, different the lighting is not even not even close, close no no i mean evidence of that with i mean go and start talking about the shoot off evident of the, how important lighting can be yeah like perkins first arrow and i talked to him later that night when we were out on the just kind of hamming it up on the in the casino and like i know he had told bruce like dude i don't i don't want to move because he was stroking yeah he's like i don't want to move i'm sighted in they're like no you got to move in and you saw his first arrow yeah. straight right yeah i don't remember if it was right or left but he said he made freaking perfect shot felt awesome about it he, right because he told me he's like hey you know it, it'll probably be off but i'll just make a clean shot and it'll probably catch and catch i can it. adjust for there and right. it was I mean, he was a full, like, half shaft. I can't remember if he was left or right, but he adjusted for it and then shot, like, two solid damn right. near inside outs. Right. So It's crazy, though. You're right. That's for darn sure. Tough tournament, though. So, anyways, folks, we're getting ready to head over to the ASA first leg, the Pro-Am, which is going to show up in Foley, Alabama. It's next weekend. So we're going to talk a little bit about how we transition our bows into that. It's a completely different discipline. Bridger's going to talk about his setup. We'll talk about typical setups and how a lot of people do it, and then um, and probably get into the weeds a little bit on, especially, we haven't done a lot of tech talk, so maybe talk about the technical mm. stuff of, of why we do it, and then also talk about gamesmanship and strategy when it comes to 3D. It's hilarious to talk to Bridger about I it. I can because cover that it's pretty simple. quite quickly. Yeah, he does it in about 30 seconds, and I look at it a little different um, because I think there's a lot of strategy and gamesmanship that goes into 3D, um, especially for the, for the layman amateur archer mm -hmm. let's say yeah so uh bridge before, we, before you get it broken into the uh the nitty-gritty uh, if you're listening i'm just gonna throw this out there this is coming out tomorrow friday but tomorrow we are recording a guest and it's a very special guest uh she just won the female yeah uh division in vegas shot a perfect 900 sixth woman to ever do that yep. by the way right and she's been cleaning it this whole year she won indoor worlds uh sorry the indoor uh world cup final yep mm -hmm. and then turns around and wins vegas the next day yep and she's just been cleaning it for the for the past couple months and uh Paige pierce is going to be with us tomorrow and this that episode's going to be coming out next friday so if you're listening to the podcast and you have friends that love archery and love uh listening to podcasts please 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 send them our way yeah it'll be a good episode download it for them yeah it'll be good 
Make it their Valentine's gift. <laughs> and it's going to be cool. I, I have got some crazy questions. I've seen her at the shoot. and Her setup is pretty wicked. So I can't wait to get into that She's one. She's definitely against the grain on a She's lot of stuff. She's against the grain. That's why I like it. So I just want to know how she keeps all her fingers <laughs> with that grip. Yeah, no lie. Um, right. Anyways. Floor is yours, Bridger. Yeah, Bridger. Why don't you talk about what, you, what you've done. I mean, you've been doing a lot of work on the bow the last 48 hours since we got back from Vegas. So. Yeah. I mean, for me, the biggest yeah. thing... It's just a transition of arrows. I mean, shooting 3D, you're shooting a faster setup, so generally you're not having to run your sight super low. Um, so even though I'm going from a heavier arrow for indoor, only shooting a 20, I'm going to keep shooting. I'll keep the same peep height, um, and all I'll really do is just move my rest and retune the bow a little bit, um, whereas normally when I transition to my FETA setup, I'll actually drop my peep height a little bit that way i can sit a little tighter in my anchor point um but i'll shoot the same i'll shoot the same anchor for indoor and 3d especially for us shooting in the known pro because we're you know my sight position with a heavy arrow at 20 yards on a 27 12 or super drive 27 is pretty similar to you know last year i shot the tank 25s this year i'm going to shoot the new super drive 2019 or the super drive 19s from easton but my sight position at 40 yards, which is kind of our average or a little bit further than that in the known pro, is pretty close to the same as uh, my sight with a 2712 right. or super drive 27 at 20 yards. So I haven't changed my peep height at all. I haven't changed my bar setup at all. All I've really done is I swung my cable rod in a little bit because I'm shooting a weaker arrow with that super drive 19. Um, and then just retuned it, retuned the rest, and then I changed my scope housing up quite a bit, obviously. But right. Oh, you went from a dot to a fiber. Yep. Normally for indoor, I always run a two millimeter dot on a four power lens from Clear Target, and then uh, for 3D, I'll shoot a six power drilled lens with this about probably like a half inch of fiber with a light shining down on it. Right. So, which is kind of odd. A lot of guys don't do that. And I think Jesse's about Jesse and maybe a few other guys are the only few that do it. Um, for me, I'm just so used to shooting with a dot and seeing all the way around my aiming point. Right. Um, that's just how I run it. I mean, sometimes I run into issues. Like if you're shooting in full sun, the ambient light will suck out a lot of that light from the fiber um, versus how much you can actually get on it with your sight or with the, uh, like your LP or right. zeros or whatever you're using. Right. Um, but for the most part in the ASAs, you're not shooting in like full sun. No. <laughs> and somebody will have an umbrella or at least cover my sight housing. Exactly. On, and it's usually only like one target. Right. But for me, it's a huge advantage being able to see all the way around my sight. You know, that's something you, it's funny you talk, you bring up because it's, um, I always find it odd because when you shoot a center drilled lens like it, you get to see the whole animal. Right. And I think that's crazy important. Well, um, and like a lot of us are aiming off of arrows. Yep. So. Like, if you have an up pin, so if it's coming straight from the bottom. And that's what most people do. And I got to aim over an arrow. Well, I come down on it, and all of a sudden, the arrow I'm trying to aim over, I, I can't see it because the, the post is in the way. Yeah, exactly. And then you end up going left or right of it. And right. if it's, like, barely barely grabbing the line or just out 8 on a low 12 right. on the right side of the 10, and I'm covering it, and then I swing over to the right to see it, boom, and it goes off. All of a sudden, now I've shot an eight out to the right, too. Exactly, yeah. And that's why, you know, we use, a lot of our shooters use a shrewd. I use a shrewd scope so I can run my pin post at 10 or 2. Right. I want to try a drill lens for the first time this year. I've never shot well, one before. Even at that, if somebody, say somebody shoots an upper on mm -hmm. a target that's yep. facing right, so your yep. upper's on the <laughs> upper left, <laughs> or the, the upper right, 
and they're just in just out at like two o'clock on the yep. on that and that's your yeah, that there your reference point all of a sudden right away. Yeah, absolutely i've aimed on all 12 hands of the clock yeah around a night around an arrow or around a reference point and i can for me without a post i can always see it right even exactly. with those razor posts from you know those shrewd razor posts are pretty nice but right you still post and it's still there still post and it's still there absolutely. and especially when i mean some guys are shooting a strong enough clarifier it fuzzes out a little bit right but i don't for me i've always been able to see it and like if i shoot an up post my group is always straight up straight down so you know talking about staying with the scope um you know, I hear a lot, and there's a lot, I think, different schools of thought on this. So for your standpoint, from a professional standpoint, would you rather have a fuzzy target, clean pin, or a fuzzy pin and a clean target? For me, I like a clean target. And, like, I I don't know if it's good or bad or lucky or what, but, like, I'm pretty nearsighted. Uh-huh. So for me, a clarifier works even better. So I'm nearsighted, so my sight, fi- or my sight housing is super clear all the time. Yeah. I use a number two clarifier with a six power lens. And for me, the target, I can, in full sun, I can see, I can put my dot or my pin inside of a 12 ring right. at 55 yards. Jason, what about you easy. in the, in the use set? I mean, which way do you prefer it? Um, well, I've, I've got to run that, um, that recurve aperture. Um, I've tried using the, uh, I believe it's the shrewd reflex, the yeah. Brady Ellison. The Brady Ellison, yeah. I've tried it with the with the drilled uh, fiber. I just it wasn't bright enough for me. Mm-hmm. I tried using the uh, the just a regular lens with a dot. Still can still can work it. And then I I switched to a uh, it was a biter the square aperture. Yeah. Um, and I was using a an orange fiber. It was probably a. Uh, Twenty nine thousandths yep. uh, orange fiber, but I was losing it uh, for some reason. My oh, the eyes, sun. yeah, the sun and the the yellow, or even if I would aim off in the red, I would lose it. Um, so what's been working now for me is uh, Shiboya, uh forty thousandths green fiber. Right. And I mean, this thing runs from the the actual post, and it's actually a uh, the post runs from the right to the left, and uh, the fiber is about three inches long. I was going to say, and at a 40 thou, that thing's grabbing a ton of light. Exactly. So it's, it's like having a, a traffic light sitting (laughs) at the end of my bow. Do Uh, you find that it overtakes the target at times or do you go with it? No, not really. You know, back when I was starting, I I used to focus on that pin a lot before I learned how to shoot and focus on the the target. Exactly. Um, Now it's just, for me, it's perfect because it yeah. covers just enough of the gold to where I have a small sliver on the outside. It's mm-hmm. a halo, exactly. Yeah, um, and that's perfect. That way, I'm not sitting and trying to to force that and, and execute a perfect shot. I can so, just so just to explain what Jason's talking about, and for those of you who don't know, in his classification and in, in trying to make the uh, the Olympic Paralympic Games, he is shooting off of his string with no peep sight. So he's shooting like a traditional recurve shooter, or Olympic shooting like recurve a, shooter. a recurve. Yeah, exactly. No reference point or no peep sight, right? And then a sa- no magnification in the scope. Yes, correct. Yeah, which makes it crazy difficult. And the reason I'm asking that question because I tell you I get that a lot from customers, and I think it's funny that when they come in and not not say funny, but it's just odd because they want a clear, sharp pin. And I have always been under this, uh, follow the school of thought: you can't aim and hit what you can't see. 
So I am of I agree with Bridger. I think a clear target and a fuzzy pin is a way to go. And you know, it's I, funny. I don't know if a fuzzy, like I well, not fuzzy, but it's a, like just out of focus. Correct. Like yeah. just out if of I focus. if I'm so like in our we're kind of our makeshift almost done studio we got here. Right. It's our old stock room. But if I look like past you, we got the storage or the shelving units behind you. If right. I look at those, like you're still there, there, and I can see you. You're just not like crystal clear sharp right. but if i look at those that's what's clear but you're there and not quite as sharp so so i can almost look right like you can almost look through that and see what's behind it and just use it as a reference so i always use that when i'm coaching and i'll tell guys you know put your fingernail out in front of you and but concentrate on something on the wall and you can still see your finger but you mm -hmm. need to be looking at the target on the wall letting the finger be in the background vision i call it looking yeah. past it yep and that's why you know I, i'm a firm believer that and i use wing shooting i used to coach a lot of wing shooting and trap shooting and you know you never put the bead on the tart bird they call it you know bead on the clay the guys that do that gals that do that they miss because you have to be watching the target the whole way and i mm -hmm. missed a lot <laughs> but no and, and and i get that a lot because the human eye will pick up the brightest and most uh, sharpest object and follow it Right. It's just what we do as humans. It's our targeting mechanism we have within ourselves. And, anyways, we so when you are sitting there with a floating pin, we call it shooting the float. And when you're concentrating on that pin, and then all of a sudden the shot breaks and the pin's a little bit out right, guess where the arrow's going? It's going right. Mm -hmm. But if you are concentrating on that X or concentrating on that 12 ring and shooting the float, concentrate on that 12, and that pin happens to flow a little bit out, as long as you're looking at that 12, your brain will do that math most of the time and get you there. It'll move. You're going to move it back. Well, and I. Some of that's your shot too, but I always talk about it like you're. If you're over aiming, looking at the pin, yep. you you always hit on. I call it the minus side of the dot. Yes, sir. Versus the plus side of the dot. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so no like, doubt about it. Ver it's a difference between being a half shaft X on a Vegas face at three o'clock and being a half shaft or barely biting yeah. or just out of the ten. Well, you know, funny story. A, a funny story. I was shooting a state tournament. It's been five or six years ago, and my light went out on my. Mm -hmm. my, my sight pin light on the LP light went out and I had no batteries with me. Um, I shot an entire round that day off my post. I could barely see the fiber because I'm blind as a bat anyways. Back then I was really blind. Um, and I shot probably one of my best scores ever. I mean, I think I shot a 58 off my post, literally, mm -hmm. barely being able to see the red, my red fiber. And it, that's what kind of opened my eyes to it. I thought, man, you know, I had to concentrate harder, yeah. but I was looking at the target more. And then kind of cross-referencing the, the end of the post and not looking at the post, if it makes sense, or the, yeah. the dot. Well, you brought up a thing. So you shoot – do you shoot a red fiber for 3D then? The green, actually, no. You shoot a green? Yeah, right. So I maybe it's my eyes, but, like, I see everybody shooting blue fibers. I don't – I can't know how they do blue. Man, I, I don't know how they whenever do Whenever I see anybody shooting one, they've got it turned up so, so damn bright. Yeah, like, right. I look at their scope housing – and the whole housing, they'll be shooting an 80-millimeter yeah. housing from Shrewd or something. Yeah. Like, I think like you could fit a target inside it. Right. And all I can see is a blue. It's just blue. Yep. It so you see blue, blue and all I hear is well, it's, 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 it's <laughs> coming out of their, their scope housing. <laughs> well, it's star bright so bad. It, yeah, the starburst on it is insane. And, like, for me, like, like I said, that fiber, I shoot a green on that drilled lens. Yeah. And shining down on it in full sun, it's like I was shooting outside with Glenn today, and like I was still shooting like quarter nickel size groups at fifty yards with those new arrows, and right. like I could barely see my post, but I knew it was there, and I was just right. it was just a reference exactly. But man, with the blue, you have to turn that thing so All the way up. bright to be able to see it. If you don't, the sun washes it out. 
Yeah. Period. I mean, well, the, I mean the sky's blue. Duh. Obviously, it works for a lot of people. And I don't know how they do it. Yeah, I agree. For me, that. I can't. God, I, I can't see that damn Well, thing. Uh, you, you say it works for a lot of people, but I think a lot of people like the color, but yet they have to turn the light up so bright. Whoopsie. I don't think that they realize that that the starburst they're creating can actually be detrimental to their target, to their shot. Yeah. Um, so, anyways. That's a little bit about, you know, the the targeting, the scopes and stuff like that. Do um, you go up inside your scope size, Bridger, or do you still shoot 4X? I actually everything? shoot a smaller, like, uh, well, I shoot a higher power. power. power, the power in your Power, hands. I jump from, for uh, everything but 3D, I shoot a 4. Gotcha. Indoor, I shoot a 4 with a 2 mil dot. Fida, I shoot a 4 with a 1 mil dot. For, like, field and redding, I'll shoot a 4 with a 19-drilled lens. Right. Exact same setup as I have for 3D, just a 4 instead of a 6. And then I'll run a 6 with a 19-drilled lens. For 3D? For 3D, yep. Gotcha. gotcha. And that, what do you run on in your peep side? 16th or 332nd? I've been shooting the same size peep for, like, 12 years, and I honestly God could not tell you which I, size I it is. I think it's either a 16th or 332nd. I think it's 364s. Is it 364? 364s or th- uh, a 16th. That it's small. It's freaking small. But I, and like, you talk about running, and maybe for me, I've always ran that small of a housing and small right, of a peep, right. so it doesn't bother me having the having my target be a little darker. A little gray, yeah. But I actually shoot a smaller sight housing and a smaller scope housing for 3D than I do for anything else. And that's crazy. So this is where Bridger and I probably differ a lot. He shoots a, you shoot a 29 millimeter scope, or it's a it's a AV25. AV25. From True Ball. For True Okay. And most of, you know, I've always shot a 40 because I'm trying to gather as much light as I can to see my targets the best I can. Yep. Um, and I'll neck down sometimes to a 35, you know, but generally it's going to be a, a large housing because I'm trying to get as much light to my lens as I possibly mm-hmm. can get. But I, once again, well, I'm blind. Well, so. for me, like, like I'll go, like I could jump up to a three, like with a smaller peep, I don't have to have a strong with clarifier. Like, I like having a little bit of haze over the pen, right. but, I, I mean, I want to be able to see it. Right. And, like, if I jump up to a, a three with a bigger peep, like, all of a sudden, I can see the pen, but there's six of them. <laughs> <laughs> and the target will be super clear. Oh, yeah. It's nice Pick and bright. Pit. Which one but like, Yeah, I don't know which one I'm going to freaking aim with. Right. No. And, you know, it's funny you say that because it's one thing that I think that a lot of people don't get the – they will change the lens power in their peep sight before changing aperture size yeah. to remove double pins. Oh, dude, like I could drop down <clears throat> if I go down one size. I can't. I don't have a light. I don't like to have a halo of light around my housing, so right. it's not super comfortable. But I can see it. Right. And outside in full sun, like with a six power lens, uh, two power clarifier or number two clarifier, and like one size smaller peep. My pin is crystal clear and the target is crystal clear. Right. I can see everything. Everything perfect. Like yeah. at we're shooting we're shooting at those four fifty X bags or whatever we got. It's got a little one inch Yep. Black dot. dots. I can literally take that and put the pin inside of that dot and the pin is crystal clear. But it's like just dark enough that if I'm in a bad lighting situation or something, I wouldn't be able to see anything on the target. Gotcha. Gotcha. So but like again, I'm used to that smaller peep housing. Right. Where right. You know, and it's definitely just, I think, preference. I mean, you just got to find what's going to work best for you. But for for the listeners that are that are you know taking this all in, you know, before you, if you get a double pin, imagine like squinting. It's it will sharpen the image. You can get less light to the eye, which exactly. will, which will cut out that two, three, four pins that you see sometimes. Yep. For so sure. So either you can, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do. And yeah. I, I mean, 
as much as like as much as we like to joke about Gillingham, he is very adamant about having everything cleared, and he does a really good job at it. Um, like he's got a lot of good information on the internet all about how he sets up his scope and everything. Right. Um, but generally, targets targets fuzzy. Like if you're using the specialty stuff or the hamski peeps, you jump up in power. Target will get clearer. Your pin will get fuzzier. Right. And then if you go up in uh, peep aperture size, the fuzzier everything will get, but the brighter it'll get. Correct. So you got to find that happy balance between being able to see the target, being able to see your pin, and have it be bright enough to where you have detail in both. Exactly. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, that's cool. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, as far as you running, you you know, this is I think another subject that's always been contended. As do you run your sight bar way out, or you run it really close? I, again, same as me running the same peep height or the same peep size for ten years. I've ran the same sight extension for ten years. I use like I use Archer's Advantage online for my sight tapes. Uh-huh. In the like six years I've used that, my peep to pin and my uh, I know my peep to pin, I've changed maybe a half an inch over the years. Wow. It's always been between 30 and 30 and a half. Gotcha. So on the, like I shoot that Excel XP, Achieve XP, um, the third dash in on the shorty bar. So the third dash in from the very front or from the very back? From the back. From, from the If back. you go all the so way you out, shoot I'm pretty two, long. I'm two you notches shoot a pretty in. long. I mean, uh, bar. six inch bar, you're probably using it's four probably average. Probably after mm-hmm. like a lot of guys will run that one all the way out or one. I in. run mine really close. I don't like movement. That's what we're trying to. I'm gonna try to limit movement. I run mine in the second hole from the front, mm-hmm. which is probably not even two inches of bar. Yeah. Well, in front. I mean, all that your peep size, your clarifier, mm-hmm. power, yep. and where it's at on that that'll change your power and your scope. Exactly. Too. Yeah. Which Coming I mean, down. you run up closer in, it's gonna be weaker. <clears throat> Got to run a then you run a different so you got to run a stronger scope which makes you run a higher clarifier which right. also weakens it right so i mean at, at the end of the day it's more of a preference well it's preference but you're kind of washing it out you know jumping from a four to a six it's the only right. time you'll see a big change gotcha 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 so you don't change rest you still run the same rest as you're running i know a lot of guys are you know i was talking to one of our guys today about it um he just went over to a blade for the first time mm-hmm. um but he brought up you know gosh if we get into a lot of wind you know, it'll blow the arrow off the blade. Yeah, it happens. But I've seen that happen one time, and it was my buddy uh, Kevin in Boston, and there was probably sixty mile an hour sustained winds. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever seen a bl- arrow fall off of a rest fall because of, of wind. Yeah, and I shoot a I shoot a Dave's best ten thou blade, standard width for literally everything. everything yeah, twenty seven twelve super drive twenty fives, right. tank twenty fives, pro tours, nanos ultralights from gold tip i mean i've used that same blade i'll run i've ran the same like physical blade, blade for like yeah. two or three years you run backers at all Mm-mm. no i, don't I just run a straight 10 straight for 10. everything i do the same thing straight 10 i mean so what let me you know let's maybe talk about a little bit about ba- uh the blades what do you think the advantages are of going to an eight or a 12 which is the other two options i mean i i used to run a a weaker like i used to run an eight for everything and then like indoors i'd run a backer on it right and then outdoors i'd take that backer and flip it up on top to try and keep it from uh rebounding bouncing back up right but i don't know 10 is just the best of every world in my opinion well that and it's just it's one less thing for me to think about and it's i've always shot good scores with them so it's like i For me, like, do you think that is one of those things that's just overthought going from it? Yeah, just keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, exactly. 
unless you're shooting like a 32 inch arrow with 350 grains up front maybe going to a 12 is yeah. pertinent but well, the only time i ever shot a 12 is when i was testing uh the aae like the freak show blades or their right. theirs is because they but they run a longer blade right so they're like their standard blade before they came out with that shorty their standard blade at a 12 reacted the same as right. a as like a dave's best or a, a lancaster the las or xpot right. stainless 10 thou blades jason what i mean you run 10 for everything right now uh i used to i used to run a, a 10,000s when i was running uh the swaps yeah um but then last year after i had a uh, an issue with the with that swap rest in in mexico i i swapped back over to a uh, a drop away right um doing the hamski trinity well i think that's the way to go for you i mean you guys yeah. are, you guys with, are in the pair division with you how, yeah with how much you move drawn back yeah, that's, exactly that's a must yeah I, I mean when i was i think i i was i was trying to be one of the cool kids where i wanted to be like everybody else <laughs> and i i was i was a victim of my own uh yeah. i guess vanity yeah. because i wanted to be Wait, just uh, like we, everybody we, else i call it coffee talk exactly yeah. i just i wanted to i wanted my bow to look like everybody else and mm -hmm. be cool and, and right. you know in a way trying not to make myself uh feel any different but i was i was shooting in mexico and man i was i was shaking too much and my arrow kept on dropping off the rest right yeah. which meant i had to let down and redraw and it was just so wearing instead, me out so instead of drawing 60 times you were drawing like 150 times exactly so yeah. i i swapped over to that uh that hamsky trinity and i'm running their uh, uh composite uh, how, launcher. How, are you, how are you liking that launcher so i've had the same one since early march of last year yeah so you've run a crap load of arrows through that yeah yeah, yeah still haven't had any issues i mean i love it. it 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 does what it has to do you know so let's talk a little bit about maybe go down that road of um drop away versus spring steel you know static blades um you know for me personally i think that used to be a an issue um i remember i was shooting an asa tournament in uh in fort benning georgia and this has been god 12 years ago it's been a long time and i was actually leading the uh men's bow hunter division i think at that time shooting a do you remember the trophy ridge drop zone <laughs> um i don't even want to i know i'm a, maybe I'm, <laughs> It was way before you were even. I know we, we don't like, been born. I, don't, I know we don't like trash and stuff. No. but I've worked on enough trophy ridge rests yeah. to know that I don't want one that has. Okay, but parts. you would hear something funny. Back then, that drop zone was like ultra popular. Everybody shot one. It was that had that big spring in it. It went up and down the big V. And I remember I was leading after day one. I came in the day two, and I got. I think I shot two nickels in a row because my spring lost all of its tension and it was only coming up halfway one of the guys in my group caught it and went whoa you know let down scott and i'm like why and then i drew it off to the side and yeah i was getting half of it so i was shooting yeah. in the belly it sucked um and then i went to back to my trophy taker you know remember the, yeah. the standby been around forever and uh and i never looked back but then i i dabbled with the so but uh, the reason i'm bringing this up with the new hamsky trinity the you know the vapor trails that are out now um the limb driven rests and even you know looking at qad ripcord and stuff like that you know bridger i'll ask you from a professional standpoint i mean is there still an advantage to shooting a blade spring steel i know it's simplicity but nothing moves yeah i don't know i've i've tested and messed with dropaways and stuff and i'm not like i like to tune stuff and i like to play and fiddle fire around with all my equipment but i Man, I'd rather just shoot my bow and not worry about it. Keep it simple. And every stupid. time, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And for me, like, 
I've always had to spend more time shooting and tuning when I run like a limb driven drop away like the hamskis um, than I do when I just slap on a, a blade. Slap on a blade. Like I run that swap now. I ran the or I run the edge swap. I ran the regular edge before. I ran the trophy takers for a long time, and I've just I've never had a, a problem with them. Right. Well, there's not a I lot to ju- go wrong other but, than a blade breaking. I mean. Other than a blade breaking or, you know, you having contact with it. But right. at the same time, I've probably set up, hell, I've probably set up damn near 30 of my own bows. Right. And that's just getting a bow and starting to set it up, let alone, like, how many different setups I've had with each of those bows. I've set up and tuned a blade rest probably a thousand times. So I just <laughs> right. look at it and I know what needs to change and what doesn't. So I always, for me, my zero is way down the road than what my zero is with a hamski or something like that well you know and to qualify that folks i want to tell you that in the shop here and this happens periodically we'll get a bow that we'll set up it'll be perfectly centered perfectly vertically centered i mean the center shots everything's money and we'll shoot it um through paper and we can't get its tear i mean and i will always tell my you know my guys they, they know now put it put a trophy taker we'll slap a blade, blade on it and it will tell you what the bow is doing because a blade doesn't lie yeah, well, at least as far as, like, if we're getting, like, a false left or a false right. False right. Tear, right. Um, sometimes the rest being that. slow. You know, yep. the rest can be slow and hold on to there or too long and give you a high tear or hold on way too short and give you – and yep. that's, we've seen it all. But I will tell you, when you put that blade on there, it will tell you whether – because right there we can diagnose and say, okay, we got a limb problem. You know, we may have to reprofile limbs because yeah. that blade doesn't lie, period. It's well, And that's why I, I shoot it. There's just day. less less moving parts. There's no parts. There's no moving parts. You're shooting off a blade, and as long as you got good clearance, it's going to shoot the way the bow is meant to shoot, for sure. That's uh, again. I'll bring up Tim. He's probably he'd be ripping his hair out. Oh God. <laughs> he he if he, if he listens, in, he'll be calling or in in his defense, you can. <laughs> there is more tuning that you can do with like a hamski drop away. No doubt. Whereas like you can then even like a cable driven. And Tim always said that a, a limb driven is more superior for the fact that you can control when that blade is dropping out of the way. Yeah. Based on where you place it on where the limb. Where you place it on the limb. Correct. So, like, if you want that thing to hold on to the arrow as long as physically possible, you stick that thing as close to the back of the limb as possible because that thing is moving the That's most. the last part. Yeah, exactly. So, it's taken the longest for that cord to tighten back up and rip that and Correct. you know pop that rest back down. Correct. Whereas, if you want it dropping away like the second that arrow starts moving, you put just it towards the put it pockets. towards the limb pocket. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. You can definitely do that. Yeah, I run mine all the way to the back. Do you? Yeah, I think it's the best way to run them personally. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the best starting point. Yeah. I know talking to Tim, you want that guy, the arrow should be up, not necessarily full speed, but like it should be. To the point where it's had enough momentum where the front end's able to carry itself. Correct. And that's usually somewhere around halfway through the the draw cycle or halfway down the arrow uh, as it's leaving the bow. Right. But the blade, I don't have to worry about it because I just slap it on. I don't have to go through like a slow mo camera and yeah. like <laughs> put it on a draw board. I just slap the blade on, eyeball it, and shoot it through paper once. Exactly. And as long as I hear, don't hear it go ting, I <laughs> let her buck. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's and good. Half, half the time I do hear them ka-ching, and they, they, they work just fine. And they still shoot good. <laughs> I watched Hanson one time shoot. The, it was the first year he won indoor finals, or indoor uh, NFA indoor nationals. 
and he just slapped the rest. He literally took his rest off, put another one on, shot it in practice, and it was just ping. I, it sounded like tuning for it. It sounded like somebody in the back of gym class grabbing two cymbals, just <laughs> smoking them together. And it, I, I mean, he hammered it. Yeah, absolutely. So, as long as it's repeatable. Yeah, that's what they say. It doesn't matter what it's doing. Uh, that's good to know. Good, good conversation on the rest. So, um, moving down to your stabilizer, you said you kept everything the same on your bars. Yeah, I haven't changed anything. If I if I change anything, I'll run a little less weight up front so I can control the bow a little more. Right. Um, also, because you're you're tipping. Well, I guess for me, my again, my sight position or where the actual scope position on, is on the adjustment bar. Right. Isn't changing, so my like my angle of my aim isn't changing a lot. Right. When I go to FIDA, my sight's generally lower because I'm running a lower peep, a little bit heavier arrow. I'm having to aim higher, so I don't want quite as much weight up front. Right. And for me, when I say lighter, I mean I might take an ounce. An ounce, yeah. So, you know, Bridger runs what I call very net neutral zero um, stabilizer position. You run yours pretty darn close to flat horizontally yeah if you can go from if you go to the bottom of the grip my front bar goes straight forward my back bar goes goes straight back back. yeah my my back bar might be on a linear level like three inches the weight is like three inches below the weight on the front bar right so what that is allowing you to do is to keep your center of gravity right where your grip is to be honest yeah that's what's happening well i was talking about this with you jason earlier today for me like because i enjoy shooting field that's kind of where i cut my teeth a little bit when i was younger Oh, um, shooting uphill and downhill is huge. Well, shooting uphill and downhill, but mostly like side hills. For me, I can control that. You control more. that easier, absolutely. And like when I add weight, it doesn't. For me, it affects just the up down movement of the Correct. bow as more than it affects the drag, the physical mass weight of the bow. Right. Because what happens when you run that weight real low? Like yeah, like if you're if you run that weight low and you have a lot of side torque and you have it low to try and bring you back to center, it'd be like someone grabbing your bottom limb and pulling right. it down Correct. to straighten you out versus using the using the the sidebar as a lever and pull the top of the bow or the bottom of the bow back to center that's correct so have you ever shot the outdoor worlds over at eagle lake here in texas no but i'm excited to shoot that dude course. that place is crazy so and what bridger's talking that. about just to let you guys know and what he's talking about is exactly why i think he you know he cut his teeth on field Makes total sense of why you shoot that those stabilizer bars in that configuration, right. because what nine out of ten guys are running the low hole position, yeah, with thirty ounces of weight on the back, and they don't real. And I will tell you, most of those guys, if they went to Eagle, here in here outside of uh, it's outside of Houston, and shot that course on some of them side hills, they would they would induce so much grip torque in that bow, trying to keep it that bubble level. There, there's no way you can make that shot. Well, that and it's just, I remember having this conversation with. Chuck Cooley at Reading this past year, the year before, he was shooting with PJ Deloche and PJ was taken on every target. He had his stabilizer mount marked. No Are you kidding? So me? he going up and when down. you're going uphill, yeah. he would move he bar. would move his back bar up. up. Yeah. And going downhill, he'd move his back bar down. down. Yeah. And he's like, Well the weights change of position, like because I mean he's right. And he's right. You yeah, point absolutely. up if your bar is low, yeah. now all of a sudden your back bar is instead of being 14 inches the back bar weight being 14 inches underneath your front bar weight yeah. now it's like 30 right <laughs> and then vice versa going right. the other way right but like when you're running at level it's not i mean you're going up and down and yes that weight position's changing but it doesn't seem to affect it nearly as much right at least for me right so and i also run well i, I also don't run like a, a level setup 
So, like, I got 15 ounces on the front yeah. and 22 on the back. Right. So, if I just grab my bow and hold it and let it fall, my front bar sits at about a 45-degree angle. Whereas a lot of guys will, you know, have it be dead even right. to where they let it go and their bow is perfectly balanced. But you, but but in the grand scheme of things, that is a pretty one to one and a half setup, one to two, roughly. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty pretty even. And I want to tell you, folks, I, I will say this about Bridger. I mean, I, I get this asked, this question asked a lot, you know, why, you know, how does, uh, you know, Connor Sears run like 28 ounces on his front bar? Um, people don't realize how hard you guys pull. And I will tell you, I, it was funny because Bridger was talking about it the other day. This has been a couple of weeks ago. And he showed me his fingers. And this sucker had calluses. I swear, his index finger callus was at least a half inch thick. It was disgusting, actually. Oh, that's... Don't ever well, let that's why, see that ever. <laughs> that's why I shot so bad at Peoria because that callus blew up and blew like up. completely tore off. But yeah. like, if I hold my fingers up, I mean... You, it's gross. Look at it. It's weird. You can't <laughs> see it. I wish you guys could see this. Can see it, but like, my index finger on my left hand looks like a normal finger and on my right hand it it's looks like a disgusting. <laughs> sorry bro i mean it looks I love you, but it's, it's like the size yes. <laughs> of a johnsonville brat <laughs> <laughs> well and what i'm saying there is that you can that is how and why you guys run a lot of front yeah. weight it's it's offsetting well, i'm, I'm pulling pull. against it exactly and i remember you talking to glenn i think you were talking to glenn yesterday or the day before uh like when the boat for me with my bars when the bow has direction yes Regardless of where I'm aiming or what I'm aiming at, it always has that direction, which means I only have to pull one way to fix it. Right. Whereas if it's for me, anyways, if it's dead even, if I move, it just keeps it just keeps going that way. Correct. You know, I I'm not pulling one direction to fix it. Right. You know, and so you look at some of the guys that have. I I think it's funny, not funny, but I think it's strange where you look at most of the traditional setups that we look at nowadays the guys are running low holes mm-hmm. um running you know straight or 10 degree downs you know we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that here in a second but and because i live in the 3d world i think it's why we see that but if you go to the 3d courses we're shooting flat we don't have a lot of uphill downhill we have very exactly. few side hills i hear 3d shooters complain about shooting four degrees uphill. are they kidding me yeah um no it's crazy because it the, honestly the local courses that we shoot here in Texas are really harder than the 3D courses at a pro-am. Everybody says you got to be, uh, we're going to, what is it, Abilene this weekend? Abilene, yeah. Everybody's like, well, you gotta, you gotta try that course is pretty hilly. I mean, they're shooting at eight degrees Eight here. degrees. I'm like, oh, man, I mean, eight degrees is a lot if you're shooting like 80 yards. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh, no, and it's funny because, and that allows you to run a configuration like that because we're basically shooting indoor-outdoor. Yeah, I mean, and I think a lot of that has to do with shooter preference and where they want the center of gravity of the bow to feel, right? And where it be. Well, because you know when you run a low hole, you are lowering the center of gravity. You're creating a down force mm-hmm. on the bow that allows you to push against it harder, which is going to balance and stabilize the system essentially. Yeah, you well, like that neutral because you've shot so much darn field, and it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, I say that for me, it's just what has always been comfortable because, like. I mean, obviously, Jesse's a hell of a lot better field shooter than I am, and he's been doing it a hell of a lot longer. And he was the one – I mean, they had the 10-degree the downs and the low right. low bar mounts back in the, like, 80s and 90s, but Jesse was kind of the first guy to bring it back. When I, I, I still remember, was it 2009, when they had the Vantage Elite, and yeah. everybody was like, holy crap, Jesse took and drilled out his riser so he could mount his bar down there. And, like, everybody was going nuts yeah. when he was shooting that Vantage Elite Plus. Right. And then the next year they came out with the Pro Comp XL and they the Pro Comp Series, and they had the low hole there. Right, right. Um, 
But you know, but again, Jesse, you look at you look back now. Look at what how Jesse's shooting hit. Jesse's right. Jesse's running pretty light now, but he's got his front bar. He runs he has a little late. dangle, but he's still got his sidebar. Right. They're a little bit lower. Yeah. But not nearly what they used to be. Yeah, exactly. Dave, Dave, well, and Dave's another one. He has shot, like, back in the day when he was killing everybody all the time on field courses. His front bar straight out and his side bar straight out. Straight out, yeah. Exactly. But as far as, like, a center of gravity-wise, it was all right there on, yeah, the, grip, exactly. on the bottom of the grip. You know, and I'll tell you, folks, that's going to be a preference thing. You need to experience it and test them. You know, I got... I got really hooked into, and I want to say when the PCXL came out, the PCX Hoyts is when we went to ten degrees. Um, mm-hmm. I always had a lot of waving problems with that bow. I get centered up, and that sucker would swing back and forth like crazy before I come center, and I don't care how hard I push. And we went to ten degrees that year, which was lowering the front of that bow. It was pulling and dragging the front down, which like it stopped it on a. Dime. Well, that that was one of the first Hoyts that had more meat above the grip than it did below exactly yeah agreed yeah so and it's it'll, and it's kind of stuck with me over the years and a lot of my shooters are doing it now and now i'm seeing them migrate back since you've been in the shop and i've actually even run the more straight bar now mm-hmm. um and i think it's just preference you got to see what's going to work for you well, and, and what works for you and what works for the bow every right, bow's going to be different based on grip position based 100%. on cam size and cam orientation um well and, you know let's talk about that a second um because I don't know you and I have had a lot of discussions about this, and this is once again, you look at bow geometry. Let's use the TRX series as mm-hmm. an example. That bow is two thirds riser, top grip, one third riser in the bottom. Um, and then let's look at a maybe an elite, um, like Victory Thirty Seven, which is a little bit more central, that one, more more centric. But it's that there. one's actually that one's a draw yeah, center they got, too. They got they got the the result the result the result is a split grip or what split I call grip. a split grip yeah, to exactly. where you're if you go straight back from the burger button right and straight back from the grip the center of the riser is dead nuts between right. those two so you're drawn above the center of the bow correct to an equal amount that you're pushing below right. the center of the bow. so when talking about that when we're looking at that and i know for me the trx series for i have to induce a ton of what i call heel pressure in the bow to keep to counterbalance the amount of riser I have up top. Yeah. So when I'm actually pushing on the front side, I'm really pushing through the heel of my grip where you look at a more net neutral, like you See, were just talking about the, on the result, you're going to run it more through the, the webbing. I yeah. call it. Well, and for me, I just manipulate that with stabilizers. Stabilizers? So good, like good you're point. pushing on the bottom, so I just throw a, I just throw a bunch of front weight on them. Like when I, sh- when I shoot. We're so you don't change your grip that. pressure? No. Per se. I'd rather shoot the same shot all the time and just change the bow to fit me. That's interesting. It's a lot less to think about. <laughs> You're kidding. Like, I can just have the same process in my head every time, which, yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen all the time. But, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, most of the time I can draw a bow back and know, like, oh, I got to do this or I got to do that. Right. So, like, a, for me, a really neutral shooting bow. So, like, the well, the Primes is an even better example. Yeah. That one is a grip center bow. Totally. And the older Hoyts are a grip center to bow. Well, I was going to ask you, when you shot Hoyt, you, you're telling me you did not change your grip pressure from the Hoyt when you no. went to Matthews? No. Nope. Because those grips are night and day. They're not even close. No, I didn't change it at all. Because that Hoyt grip, I think, is centered around the recurve. It's It shoves you into the throat pretty hard. Yeah. With no, I haven't changed. Like, my, my shot execution has changed over the years. Right. Just between battling target panic and maturing as a shooter and everything but like the way i set up has not changed since i was probably like 13 no kidding Mm-mm. 
like go look if you go look at my front shoulder and every like from like the center of my chest forward yeah since i was 14 i bet it looks exactly the same as it does then as it does oh, now so gotcha i've never changed any of that now my shot executions changed a lot right i mean i've always pulled a lot but like how i manipulate the release or execute has right morphed into something but so do you think you know it's funny you were just you just mentioned it and i wanted to talk about it um how you shoot a release can also dictate how you do bar setup and in, in, yeah. in relation to because you know we talked about Glenn Brazell a second ago. Glenn is a very he's a chance bobef. He sits and waits. Mm-hmm. Doesn't pull real hard. Um, so his bar configuration is a whole lot different than someone who's like you who's just ripping the living daylights out of it. Um, without a doubt, do you agree with that or? Yeah, and I I, I mean that depends on the again. Like it's also objective. It depends on the bow too, because he's shooting that. What is he shooting a CT nine now or something? Yeah, the Prime CT nine. Which, for me, like when I was messing with those, I had to put a ungodly <laughs> amount of weight on that thing. <laughs> right. I put. I I remember when Colton Hamilton was shooting his. His was the closest that, as far as setup between all the pros that were shooting that bow, he had like twenty eight ounces on the front and like twenty on the back. So he had more in front than back. And that's almost exactly how I ran mine. Yeah. I ran like 20 and, 20 and 18 or something. Yeah. yeah. Like I had, it was heavily favored toward the front. Right. And that was just to give that bow direction. Well, the bow had to have direction, exactly. Well, you push into if not, it, it doesn't. with different size cams and that grip in the center, you push right. and it just kind of like, it doesn't really like drive towards the center right. like a deflex style bow would, but it, I don't know, it just like whatever direction you happen to be pushing, it just like drove yeah, that way. exactly. So I always had to have it trying to pull me back into one direction. So, you know what, and it's interesting, you know, we'll switch gears. You look at Jason Tabansky's setup on bars. I mean, this joker runs his freaking back bar like on a 48, 50-degree straight down. Yeah, it's under the cam. And he has to do that because Jason doesn't have the beauty of having his legs under him. His his center of gravity is already low. (laughs) Yeah, they just don't work. Okay. I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. (laughs) But, um. And and he is creating a center of gravity, I think, that's giving him a better position because he's in the chair. I mean, you're only dealing with, what, three feet of body to work with? Yeah, something like that. More or less. Well, yeah. So he's got to elongate the bow. Well, not only that, like your limited movement in your arms, too, as far as, like, like I said, I, I, we were talking about it earlier. I like having that weight higher so I can manipulate yeah. the pitch of the bow, like in the wind or right, on a side right. hill or something. Like, you don't have the luxury of... I mean, you can a little bit here and there, but not. No, but for the majority of the part, I'm strapped in and I'm I'm right. restricted to, right. to everything. So it all started with the the Victory X last year when I went to a 10 degree front and dropped that that back bar down to the bottom hole. Like 50 degrees. Well, I I dropped it to the bottom hole and then I I kicked it down. I was right underneath the cam. Right. Something like that. So, yeah, it, it, it dropped the, the center of gravity all the way down, and it, it was helping me keep that bow um, not necessarily better balanced, but I could I could hold and aim well, a lot better. That's letting the bow work for you instead of doing like exactly. what Bridger and I can do, which is we can work the bow. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's a difference. Yeah. You know, for you para guys, it's something that you need to think about because I think that, you know, shooting with Jason the last two years has been kind of cool because it's – open my eyes a lot to how setups can differ depending on how and what you have to work with compared mm-hmm. to us. It's a completely different ballgame. Yeah, and I mean, no two parachuters are the same. We can shoot in the same division. Well, and, and, and we a lot of that have. has to, doesn't a lot of that have to do with the amount of, 
I guess, feeling you have in different parts of your extremities that, you know, it's some guys are lower, you know, having having more core, having less, so on and so forth? Correct. I, I mean, it's it's a really weird thing. The The way that it was explained to me when I, when I was in the hospital was you can get two guys that have the exact same injury at the exact same uh, spinal cord level, and they will be completely different. Yeah. One might have more ability than the other. It's, it's just a weird way of how your uh, your spinal cord heals or, or responds. Um, but yeah, I I had to go that way just because I, I needed it to uh, to work for me. Now that I've, I've started shooting that result, you can see my back bar is kicked back a little bit more neutral. Right. Um, well, because the bow centered. Correct. So to probably tomorrow or Monday, I'm going to kick that, that front bar back to uh, to straight instead of that 10 degree and see see how that works yeah just try different things that bow's configuration is going to give you a lot of flexibility you're going to be able to do a lot more with it because of how it how the bow's profiled engineered yeah so that's pretty cool though it's actually a pretty para friendly bow believe it honestly it is yeah you know and i always thought you would shoot the uh the primes really good but they didn't they never worked for you and i think a lot of that gonna go there yeah i know i think a lot of that's got to do with the the back wall i mean and pulling against the limb it's a different ball game yeah something something about that bow i mean especially the whole letting down part for a lot of uh especially in, in my division um once you get to that point where you're where you're pulling through a shot and trying to let down one it can be a safety hazard because if that person doesn't have very good core and yeah. they try to let down that bow is going to yank him and next thing you know going. that arrow is going to fly somewhere yeah yeah, yeah exactly. um or they can hurt themselves right so no, yeah, that that's one thing that didn't agree with me. Yeah. Um, and when I first started shooting, and I and I shot that prime, I was shooting uh, Synergy. Yeah, it it was heavy. Yeah, it was pretty heavy. I wasn't strong enough for it. That's, right. a, that's uh, a lot of aluminum hanging around there. Exactly. Yeah, but doubt. Yeah. Doubt. Um, for, for the listeners that are talking, you know, that we're we're talking about stabilizers. What do you do when it comes to setting up? weights i mean you know i i talked to uh tim for hours about this at one of the ata shows um you just kind of you've got a new shooter coming in they want to do you know wanting to take up open freestyle um how do you go about setting up weights for those guys i mean i'll generally see what i mean easy way to do it is weigh like know what type of bow they were shooting before um, what bow they're going to be shooting for as far as the target standpoint. Okay. And then the easy thing to do is just run, just start it with a one to two. One to two, yeah. Throw five ounces on the front and ten on the back and ask them what the bow's doing a full draw. Right. If it's bouncing up and down a ton uh, in a way to where, like, they just it's just moving without them stopping. Right. Just put a little bit more weight on to try and slow down that movement. Correct. If it's, like, the whole bow is dragging them down, start taking weight Take off. Taking weight off, right. If it's... If it's holding on there and just shooting at the top, throw a little bit on the front. If it's, you know, one to dip down below, add a little bit to the back. Right. Um, I think for the most part, a lot of guys learn to shoot on a hunting bow without sidebars. Yep. So most people, at least most people nowadays, like getting into target, will have a pretty neutral grip or pretty torque-free grip or one that they've adopted to where when they come to full draw they automatically fix it and yep. you know turn their arm in a way to where it's comfortable comfortable and mostly level so i think a lot because i mean that's how i learned to shoot too that's right. why i think that's part of the reason why i run my sidebar so close to my 
uh, string. string. Yeah. I mean, it's maybe the inch. weight's maybe two an inch and a half, two inches from right. the string. Right. Um. So I'll usually just go straight forward, straight back. Right. Maybe kick it out a little bit if somebody's used to having some a little bit out if they're shooting with a quiver on or something like that on right. their hunting bow. But excuse me, uh, the I mean, I almost everybody always start with the one to two. Right. Right. So something else, and what Bridger's saying is, is spot so, on. Um, go ahead. And like one to two, like for every ounce on the front, front you, you put two, two on the back. back. Exactly. So and then also you got to look at bar length because I know yeah. a lot of things you guys don't realize. The longer your front bar, the less weight you need. The shorter your bar, the more weight you're going to need to stabilize yep. the bow. And well, in the, a different way, it's going to react too. Correct, and it's going to react like a, a front bar, or like if you slap a 33 or 34 inch front bar and put eight, eight to 12 ounces out there, mm-hmm. and that guy starts moving, that thing is going to, and especially on a like a cheaper, <laughs> a a weaker bar, yeah, on a windy day, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of weight out there, and it, once it starts moving, it's you ain't stopping it. awful hard to slow down. <laughs> right. But on a short bar, like, yeah, you can run you run more weight, but you run more weight, and all of a sudden that's hard to stop moving to. If you don't run enough, it'll just end up never, so never stopping. Let's talk about that. Do you think there's a correlation between draw length and bar length on the front side because and the reason i'm asking this question is that you know i you know i I like to pay attention to setups when i'm you know we just got back from vegas and um you know it's amazing how many 33 inch bars i've seen it was crazy now it's indoors so you don't have the elements to deal with right do you think there's an advantage to shooting a 33 inch bar you know and i know that this is a very subjective question because a lot of it's got to do with the bow in the archer but what is your you know draw length versus versus bar length what what's your I think, take there yeah probably i mean i don't know what it is i've shot i mean when i won finals i was shooting a 33 and a 15 are you kidding me Mm-mm. really i mean that back bar was in my freaking armpit man i shot wow. a 33 and 15 wow but i've been shooting a like on my matthews i shot a 30 and a 13 on the hoyts and on this bow i'm shooting a 30 and a 12 um I don't know. I, for the last six years, I've shot a a, a thirty inch front bar, right. and I would argue that I'm holding way better than I did back then. But right. I I didn't know how to punch it yet, so that, <laughs> that makes a huge difference. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I it was just interesting to see. I mean, I'm I think some of the newer bows today and the way they're engineered and profiled, I'm I'm, I'm kind of more going back to that thirty twenty seven. I think that they, yeah. they they react better there, and the reason is we got more riser than we've ever seen in in the past, well, I mean, and we got shorter limbs. We yeah. just don't have, and a lot of those limbs being more parallel, the bows aren't. You know, you talk about direction a lot, and I think that's kind of cool. I've learned that from you since you moved here in August because I've never thought about it this way. But you know, the old Hoyts or the old Apex series bows mm-hmm. from Matthews, they had automatic direction because the limbs were really vertical. Yeah, they're yeah. going forward. I don't give a crap what you do. They're going forward. Now, with these parallel limbs, all your energy is being dispersed up top and bottom. You yeah. have to give that bow direction now through the the physicality of pushing and also the stabilizer. And I think that's why we're seeing more and more weight being shot on these bows because it never used to be the case before that. So, um, But, yeah, anyways, you know, one of the two is always a great starting point. Uh, we always recommend that. You know, Tim Gillingham will tell you, you keep adding weight until you can no longer physically hold it up and then take off one and take off two and then yeah shoot probably it. i mean yeah. that's a good that that's a good starting point for your mass weight yeah. i think everybody's going to be a little different yeah. because like i can hold a lot of weight for one arrow 
<laughs> not for 60 <laughs> but i mean there's a lot of weight that i can't hold for at, at 30 two arrows <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. yeah and especially when you're shooting outdoors and you got to shoot six arrows in that four minute time yeah. frame yeah and i mean exactly. and you might be able to power through the first two and then yeah oh well, i mean just four. like just like with you know your clarifier and peep size and scope housing and lens and all that it's all about finding a happy medium right exactly um yeah so we one of the other things I wanted to talk about, and I wanted to reiterate what, what Bridger said, is that pay attention to your pin float. You know, pay attention to what your pin's doing. If you that bow is is rapidly moving up and down, yeah. You know, you need to add an ounce, add a one or two ounces to the front bar. That it will stabilize and stop that. If you feel like the pin is in the middle, in the middle, in the middle, and the longer you aim, it's starting to get dragged down and dragged down. That's too much mass weight. Usually, take one off the front and start playing with that. Mm-hmm. And then, anytime I get one. right to left. I'm always working with the back bar. Yeah, you can point. swing it in or out. It you it can. Out. I mean, sometimes. I mean, there's there's different ways. And on it, the easiest thing to throw everybody back at is the the grip the grip video or George uh-huh. Riles's video about stabilizers. I can't right. even remember what the heck he calls it, but uh, the formula. Well, he's got his formula deal, but he wrote a blog. Like, I mean, this was back in like. 2006 act right, like that's right. a long time ago but it was a while it was, ago. It was, it was this 12 was back years. no hell 13, 14, 14 but years. math yeah <laughs> math is hard <laughs> but uh it was like right when bee stinger start, started coming on the scene and kind of changed the whole game with how people were balancing their bows and everything right, right. um and it's kind of weird now that i think about it like everybody's kind of shifting back to just slapping a bunch of weight on the front of the bow and slapping a bunch of weight on the back bar and swinging that and sucker pray they can hold it. Yeah, well, and I don't know. It, it's a weird, delicate balance. We're kind of halfway in between both schools of thought now. Um, but his is an his video that he talks about is an awesome starting point right. for a lot of people. Um, and then just uh, just like everything else, it's all personal preference, man. Yep. Yep. Which is tough. It takes a lot of arrows to understand what your personal preference well, is going to be. And don't you think that a lot of people? I call it the coffee talk. They they watch you. They'll watch. You know Chris Perkins. They watch Rio, and they oh, if he's shooting those kind of scores, I got to do the same. Thing. <laughs> it's got to work. A hundred percent attribute of stabilizer companies making millions of dollars off of stabilizer weights to Rio stacking thirty ounces. Thirty ounces on the front. Beasting stinger. One hundred percent started shooting. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Like, like, everybody's looking like I, I got to do that. Look at Mike's the, front bar. Oh yeah. Yeah. Dude, Schlosser. I, I, the hell, Hanson. My God, that kid. About thirty. I'll never forget. What it was like maybe the first or second year I went to the versus shoot in Mexico. Yeah. And we did this big press conference thing and we were having these conversations too, like similar to here, we're like, wait, how do you go through your setup? What is your thoughts on your stabilizers, blah, blah, blah. And I answered a couple questions about my bars, how I set them up and why I put stuff in there. And some dude asked Mike and he just goes, oh, If the bow's moving, I just put on my weight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I asked him. Well, I just said, wait. <laughs> I asked him in Arizona. I said, Mike, how do you tune your bow? He said, I take the rest out of the box, I screw it on, and then I put weight on the front. Yeah. <laughs> and then I group tune. Uh, and he runs he, a lot of weight on the front. He, Mike pushes like a 35 lot. 35 or 36 on the front. Mike pushes a lot of carbon sticks out of that bow. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. But that's just how he's always done it. Similar to me with a like a blade. It's just like... Well, you always done it. Well, the way you do it and the way, you know, you find a groove that works and yeah. you just stick with it. You know, it. the funny thing is on the converse side of that, you look at Jesse, you know, who's shot arguably as good as anyone out there. The guy runs hardly any weight. Yeah. I mean, hardly. I watched him one year. I think he was running two ounces on the front mm-hmm. of his bar. The, yeah. Front bar. Two ounces. 
It was crazy. I was like, Two how does front, he three hold on that? The side or something. Jacob Pettit, a uh, younger shooter that shot really well. He didn't. He, he win. No, he didn't win Vegas this he, year. No, he, no, that was Kyle Douglas. Was, no, 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 no. The, the you, what that young no, kid looking at skateboarder? No, Pettis has been shooting adult, adult for a oh, while. Okay. He got third, okay. third, third at nationals last year, the year before. But he's the same way. He runs very. He runs maybe four ounces on the front of his bow. Wow, four on the front and maybe eight or ten on the back. That's crazy. He's pretty pretty lightweight bow shooter too. Gotcha. That's cool. Yeah, if it works, again, it works. Again, personal preference right. type stuff. And you, know, then you you look at like Braden. I remember I remember we were in China, and Braden was shooting ten ounces on the front of a TRX eight, and V bars with a total of like forty two yeah, off the back. Right. So I, dude, I, <laughs> it's all over the map. <laughs> it really is. Whatever works. Everybody's different. Yeah. Man. You know, and, and one of the things that we, and we're going to touch base, I don't want to talk about just open freestyle, but, you know, maybe switch gears a little bit, um, talking about the Bowhunter guys. It's, it's quite arguably the largest class, at least in the ASA mm-hmm. circuits. Um, and, you know, I've always been of the opinion that it is so hard to create balance in a Bowhunter setup because the bar restrictions at 12 inches. And now they've got, thank goodness, ASA real, uh, got rid of the six-inch back bar rule. Yeah. Which was I thought was just the dumbest thing ever. Um, so you're going to be able to run hell 15, 8. I think you're going to see a lot of 15, 18, 20 That's inch bars. Most of the guys like eight or uh, NFA has been have they've had that they've had years. that unrestricted. Most yeah. guys run a twelve off the front and, and 18, a 15, 20, yeah, a fifteen off the back. I off haven't really 15. seen anything longer than fifteen. Gotcha. One of my buddies, Presley Hartman, ran he ran an eighteen or a twenty inch dual V bars. Yeah, he's creating a lot of stability by doing that. Um, but it takes guys don't realize it takes a lot of weight on a yeah, twelve inch bar. Stack a bunch. You got to stack one of my, a bunch. One of my buddies back at home in Iowa has been a bow hunter shooter for a long time and pretty successful. Blake McDonald and he, I bet his bow weighs fourteen pounds. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he has just got yeah. fat stacks on that bow. Right. I mean, he's a big dude, but like. Man, I shoot bows a lot. But and that it's, bow's too it's heavy the for only me. it's the only way you can create stability, stability and leverage and leverage with mm-hmm. a light bar of running end weight on it. Because, and that's once again one of the things you know we get. There's a lot of stabilizer companies that make what I call ornaments. They're not stabilizers. They're pieces of chunk of metal. That, Big old that are made to look cool. Even, oh man, I look can't cool. say my jokes. No, you can't. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not going to call out any of the manufacturers, but I always tell the bow hunter guys: make sure you can find the lightest carbon tube, lightest stick. Well, stick that, well, you don't that you can put a lot of end weight on. You don't even need it to be stiff on a no, not stiff because it's no. so short. It's so it's short, like it's going to be stiff no matter what. It's like cutting narrow down. You take a. 500 spine arrow and cut it cut down it to 10 inches. 10 inches. It's going to be It's going to be hard to bend. 200 <laughs> spine arrow. No. So, yeah, definitely. And so, the, you know, you bow hunter guys, make sure you're putting just an insane amount of weight. I've seen a lot of setups and, you know, they're running three ounces in the front and five in the back. You really just aren't doing anything for them yeah. at that point. Well, I mean, at least from a competitive bow hunter standpoint. No. Com- I'm talking competitive bow yeah. hunter, not bow hunting. Yeah. We're talking about the, yeah, setting up for ASA. So. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to touch on, because you had mentioned earlier, um, and this is you are definitely going against the grain when it comes to arrow setups in 3D. You know, you went with a 19 series shaft this year mm-hmm. when probably most of the competitors minimum are shooting a 23 series. Yeah. Upwards to a 26 health, 27s for the most part. Um, what's your thought process there? Well, when there's three 23s in the upper, and a 27 in the lower because 
Nathan stepped up and shot the first end with a Superdrive 27, or shot the first with a Superdrive 27 or a Triple X and smoked it at 38 yards. Yeah. And then Jacob, Sam Woltus, and somebody else threw three of them up in the upper because you know there's a big old there's dime big spot old, in the bottom <laughs> right uh there's not a lot of room for me to fit a 23 <laughs> size arrow anywhere yeah and for me like i've always shot smaller arrows because i've always been a primarily a feet shooter right um i have a ton of confidence in hitting a dot with that right and for me i've just never not that i've never but i haven't shot enough with a big arrow to have a setup that i know i can point at something and hit it right i always feel like my zero is a lot bigger than a 12 ring size at 50 yards well so just in the last two days you set those arrows up i mean how well, many x's have you missed i shot two sixties with them on a on five spots because i've mostly switching to a six switching to that six power i'm trying to get used to seeing the movement but like right. i was telling you today i shot those i was shooting them outside right and like I can go back and shoot at 50 yards and again shooting at that like one less than one inch dot right i can stack six arrows inside of it yeah i could literally put like eight of those arrows into a 12 ring and not touch the line on a 12 ring right but i know that i can shoot a group that size gotcha. so for me it's almost more of a mental yeah. deal because like i shot my best asa score at the classic like eh, probably four years ago now i shot it was a first, maybe part of it was because it was the first time I ever put a clarifier in, but, uh, and I, <laughs> right. and you, you know, I, I damn near failed my vision test. Oh, uh, yeah, we got, Texas we're going to talk about that here in just a second. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> like, I didn't recite in after I put a clarifier in, and I was like down two yeah. through 10, and I finally got my sight, or got my sight re zeroed, and I shot 36 up on 30 targets. Right. So for and that was with Pierce's, right? Which is a one six six ID arrow, absolutely tiny arrow. Well, Jesse proved it. He won Foley two years ago, shooting, a, shooting, shooting pro tours the whole uh, time. Yeah, pro tours. And I remember coming off the course, a lot of people were like, "Holy crap, how'd you do that?" You know, and um, you know, I remember talking to Jesse about it that year, and we talked, and he says, "You know, I shot every arrow from the full bore, which mm -hmm. was their twenty seven series, down to the X tens. This arrow hit behind my pin." Yep. And that's what he that is what he measured it off of <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget we were at it was i think it was the first year i ever went to foley i was shooting the practice course with braden there was a couple other guys a couple uh, there weren't local guys but guys shooting amateur and they were like i was shooting a prototype carbon express at the time that was like a 21 ish and braden was shooting x10s and this dude was just hamming us up about the us shooting smaller arrows right and he's shoot you know he's throwing lincoln logs down there and yeah. he's like man y'all never gonna hit that you're never gonna hit that 12 of them tiny arrows why yeah. are you shooting them little things and he's just throwing bricks bricks and, everywhere <laughs> and brayton and i both shot like five inside out 12s in a row before he finally shut up yeah but it was just hilarious it's like man i I shoot these because I can hit what the hell I'm aiming at. Well, you know, they so, hit behind the dot. Right. And so I think there are a lot of guys out there. And I, heck, I'm going to tell you, I was one of them. Four, four years ago, I was this guy. I would think I'm going to get more lines mm -hmm. by shooting a bigger log at that 12 ring. And when reality was, uh, my bow is not probably shooting optimally because yeah. I was overspined, shooting too big of an arrow. Um, and so counting on line cutters instead of hitting behind my dang pin. Well, and what's funny, so everybody talks about, like, so you say, like, I'm shooting that 19. Right. You can compare that to a 27, and you can say, well, that's that's 864ths of an inch. That's, right. 
I mean, that's damn near a quarter of an inch. Well, yeah, you can you can only count one side of that, right? Because your center of impact, the line's only on one side well, of the side of the end. Yeah, so exactly. you really only get four sixty fours. Correct. And I know for a fact that I can't get the those arrows to shoot like a twenty seven size arrow for me anyway at 50 yards to shoot the same as that smaller arrow at 50 yards correct i know for a fact i can shoot a tighter center of point group with an arrow that is much 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 smaller than i can shoot in a a a 27 or even 25 right so not saying that a run on the 25 is a bad move because a lot of guys run that super like a super drive 25 or a tank 25 or so here's the other school thought and and i will tell you what a lot of guys are doing and this is one part of the rules of asa that drives me crazy is that you can shoot and miss i want to say more than an eighth of an inch outside of the 12 ring by shooting a but shooting a 27 series shaft you can suck that damn foam it's pulling the line. I mean, honestly, it, and, and and it drives me nuts because I have seen, I mean, I've been shooting oh, this a lot, where a guy is literally, if you look at it with a naked eye, there's no way that, that's a 12. That arrow from Tommy going, like, not to throw Tommy under the bus because it was callers that called it in. Yep. But, man, that arrow was, from Tommy and a shoot-off over that 14, I bet that sucker was a quarter, quarter inch. inch. <laughs> but it sucked that entire line because it's yeah. such a big shaft, yep. and it, and I think it's one of the problems with the, with the sport. I've always said we need to be calling from the inner the inner ring because when you burn a twelve, you've got an outer and an inner, mm-hmm. and if you don't pull that inner, there's no way it should count. But because it's not a twelve, it's not a bonus ring score. Your arrow has sucked the foam in, yeah. So it's a fallacy in the material, and that, that is one the only thing you're probably going to give up by shooting the nineteen series shaft. You're not going to get a line pull. But at the well, end of the day, does that make you a better archer? Probably not. Here's the thing. Pro tip of the week here: take a get the the brightest, the highest lumen flashlight you can get because it is legal to use flashlights. You can't use a vision enhancer like a magnifying glass, right? And they say to call arrows, but you can use a, a light. A light. Get like everybody's using their cell phone lights or whatever. Get the brightest freaking flashlight you can get, <coughs> and it gets rid of every single shadow on that target. So if you got one where everybody's getting down on their hands and knees and dipping their hands in the mud and crap looking at it, you freaking shine a five five hundred lumen 20, light on that lumen, thing. Yeah, dude, that arrow could be two inches out, and you ain't seeing a single ridge in that target. Really. Dude, I've watched a proctor come over on a narrow call. I can't even remember who it was. It might have been Rod that had – it was his group, I think, one of my buddies, Rob Morgan – uh, Rob Morgan, Rod, Rod White. White. And it was like, oh, dude, he's like, there was zero chance. And that dude came up and shined it, and he goes, yep, 12. <laughs> like, dude, it was – he's like, that – he's like, that mother effer had to be like half an inch out. <laughs> but it get, well, it gets rid of all the shadows. Right. So right. – and yeah. like i don't know it's just like it's just like anything else you're it's you know part of the sport you're playing i think the so tip, you might as well push it i think the tip is is that test and tune your arrows i think you should in, test them from 166 up to 27 getting there on the shoot and good, shoot man. the arrow that's hitting behind your dang pin well and then scruff it up a little bit yeah you yeah take, I, I thought about doing that i was gonna go buy some 80 grit sandpaper and just run it run it around the outside of the arrow and pulling I, that foam <laughs> Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it's I hate to say it, but it's a trick, you know, and it works. You know, you know, the, you look at the, I think the NVX is every guy who shot a victory in the last oh, yeah. three years. Oh, they scratch sand that, that crap out of those ice, that ice coating. Get rid of it, you know, because it's not going to help you. Nope, at all. And you got, you know, 
And so we're going to kind of, this is a great segue into playing the game, you know. So um, I'll let Bridger tell you in about 10 seconds what the best strategy is to shoot a to shoot a ASA tournament. And then I'm going to kind of get into the weeds a little bit because I think there's a lot more to it. But. Well, I mean, I, so I shoot in the known pro class. And my best tip, my course management strategy is aim at the 12 ring. <laughs> Did you hear that, folks? Aim at the 12. Exactly. <laughs> and that's actually, you know, it's funny you say that. Top or bottom, Bridger? Uh, whichever one <coughs> has less bullets in it. Okay. Whatever you know, one you can see. <laughs> let me tell you how true that is. So in, here in Texas, at least, um, we had a guy come into my shop about four years ago, ex-professional baseball player, f- played for the Yankees organization as a pitcher and third baseman. Um, completely new to archery, but because he's a professional athlete, he picked up the sport fairly quickly. And mm-hmm. Bridger, I don't know if you've met him yet, um, but his name's Wes Cooksey. And... Wes kind of said, you know, he looked at the game, started shooting 3D. He won within six months. He was a state champion here in Texas in a pretty highly competitive class in in known 50. Um, Went to the Pro-Ams and did extremely well in the Pro-Ams. And he basically aims at every 12. He doesn't care if it's at 10 yards or 60 yards. He aims at every single 12 ring. And... uh, and he's very successful with it, um, and he doesn't know anything any better, you know. And shooting less than two years, and the guy's consistently shooting thirty, you know, twenty to five to twenty six to thirty six up on every course that he goes to because he aims at every twelve. He doesn't care. So th- I think there's a lot of val- validity in that. Um, I'm going to bring it back down to the to the amateur class well, level. <laughs> I'll say that, but like, if we're shooting at like a fifty two yard bomb. I'll usually call up on a Havelina, like a fifty, yeah, like a not a Havy, well, Coyote. Either way, like a fifty-two yard or whatever one I can see better. Like I'll take and click it up a little bit because I know I'm going to over aim. So if I'm aiming at the lower, I'll give it a quarter or a half yard because I know I'll still make it. If I make a perfect shot, right, it will probably catch the top of it. Or like if I make a, I'll take a quarter or a half off if I'm going at the upper because if I take just a tick off, I'll catch the bottom of it. Right. So I look at it in the, the way I coach and teach our kids, especially our younger um, shooters in this aspect, is shoot to your tendencies. So I'm really big on, on documentation, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think Nathan Brooks also does this a lot. He does a lot of documentation of his tournaments, you know, target to target. And you go back and you can look at trends, you know. Yeah. You get a target, you know, in between 35 and over, and your tendency is you're always going to drop low because you're going to hold low, you're going to get stuck holding low drop your arm, whatever, um, you, you shoot to those tendencies. So I, I'm real big on aiming connectors and maybe cutting a yard, adding a yard and a half, cutting yeah. a yard and a half, letting the law of physics help dictate where you're going to hit. And what I'm doing there is I'm trying to trick my brain in what I call aim safe. Because you know damn well, you aiming at a lower 12 and you got a tendency to shoot low, drop out the bottom, you're freaking out. God, stay up there, please. Oh, my gosh, it looks so good right now. You know, And, and uh, if you can get to the middle of that target and aim safe, maybe cut a yard and a half, or I mean add a yard, and you, you shoot to your tendencies, yeah. you've got a chance to get that low 12. And if you don't, guess what? You still got a 10. Yeah. And that's a four-point well, swing. So you, so you say that, Rod, like bring back up Rod White. I was talking to him last year. He had, at one point when he was shooting the ASAs, uh, like in the early 2000s and stuff, um, he had a whole formula set up to where if he made a perfect shot on every single target, like as he went further back, he would incrementally start to hit higher and higher, like from 20 all the way back to 50, incrementally starting hitting higher and higher. So that 
if he broke low, basically he was sighting in his bow to hit a half inch high. Gotcha. Is the layman's yeah, terms of it. Right. He had like a whole like formula. He's a effing nerd, but <laughs> he had a whole formula rolling about it as far as like how much he could miss and still catch a 12 one direction or the other. Right. Based on where he normally aimed on the target. But similar, same thing. Like for him, he'd always aim and pop underneath it. Right. So like for him, he just basically sighted in for that. Right. We call but, I like, we call that snow coning for back yeah, in the day. But he could still like if he came on it, sat, never moved, boom, fired, he'd still catch it. Yeah, still catch it, exactly. Yep. Yeah, and it's and it's you know, we call that shooting your tendencies. And that's what and, he's doing. Yeah. He's he's well, setting and, and up a you just have to shoot tournaments and shoot targets and understand that to right. be able to to know what you're doing. Right. You have to have tendencies to shoot to him. You can always <laughs> just phone a friend. <laughs> yeah. I did that two years ago at Nationals. We shot in Dublin and where we were shooting the the ground was sloped a little bit. Yeah. You know how you have that big hump in Dublin? Yeah, because so, in that soccer field, yeah, because it would run out the water. Exactly. And where we were at, my target, the center of my target, was pretty much parallel with Steve Anderson's shoulders. So for me, I was aiming up. And I remember calling Scott and Blake. Yeah. And I was like, man, I don't know what to do. Like, <laughs> my bow is, is getting too heavy for me. Do I take weights off of here and off of that? And they're like, no, dummy, just click your sight. Yeah. Aim. What? What are you? What are you aiming at? Three hundred and fifty dollars knobs. Exactly. What are you aiming at? I was like, well, I'm usually holding around an eight low. All right. We'll just click your sight. Sight in for that, bro. There you go. There you go. I've watched like a man. I've watched recurve because I shoot feet a lot. I've watched recurvers throw a softball group at seventy yards, like three or four or five plus ends in a row, in the seven ring. Yeah. And like, I just don't know what it is. I'm just off today. I'm like. Dude, you'd be you're on like a you'd be if you sighted in you'd be on a 700 pace. I'm like, yeah, yeah but he was shooting good yesterday. Like, yeah, who cares? <laughs> so you know, it's funny you say that because I will tell you, every one of them, the kids especially, you know, you know, I'm talking actually, it's funny. We're in Vegas, mm-hmm. and Melanie LaBeouf is one of our staff shooters. <laughs> this woman is a two-time outdoors national champion. She won it once when she was I think 21. Came back, took about a 10-year hiatus from archery. I started coaching her a couple years ago. She goes back to Outdoor Nationals in Yankton and won it for a second time in her career, 30 years apart, I think it was. And she's at Vegas telling me that, you know, well, I was shooting left, and I just aimed off. And I'm like, Mel, are you kidding me? Well, I maybe it was me, but I can aim off. I do it outside all the time. I bet I moved my sight every end in Vegas. And that's what kills me. I told her, I said, I am going to super glue your knobs if you're going to do that. Because your sight's worthless, you know. Just glue a toothpick on there. Yeah, it's just I, it, ma- it makes no sense to me because, you know, I will. If there's some advice I'll give shooters is know the level of expertise that you have, know that you're a good archer, and start moving your knobs because you know when you're right. when you when you've mastered your shot, it's probably not you. It's the bow, or there's something wrong with your sight. The sight picture is not where well, it needs to be. And like you should know, good shots, like, bad shots. Well, good shots, bad shots, but also like. When it goes off, you should be like, oh, it should be there. Right. And, like, a lot of us, you'll know. Like, I'll shoot it, and I know, like, oh, that's, that, yeah, that'll be 9 o'clock X. Yeah. Uh, that'll be a 1 o'clock X. And then I'll look at it and be like, oh, what the hell? And I'll move my sight. I It'll have, be an I, X, and I'll move my sight. I have watched Bridger move his sight literally every arrow, arrow to arrow, end to end for five ends. Because you're trying to find that, fine-tune that middle. Yeah. Well, even then, I'm still, like, again, tendencies. I've shot, like, two or three inside-out X ends in a row and moved my side every arrow. Right. Because well, they're not necessarily breaking there. 
but so that's what you're looking at. You're evaluating where the shot broke, mm-hmm. where the arrow's laying, and making the adjustment accordingly. Yeah, to to make sure that when you find that middle, you're there. Well, I, like I want it to hit behind the pen. Exactly, and that's where so I. I'm so ninety percent of people will say, "Oh God, I got an X. It's a one o'clock." You know, they'll go down there and look at it, and they got three one o'clock X's, and they're happy. That that's that's you're not but, shooting the most forgiving shot. You'd set up those arrows for Anderson that. last night, and he. But I bet he put six or eight arrows in the same freaking hole at one o'clock X on a five spot. And I was didn't like, move his sight. <laughs> he's like, "Well, yeah, but I feel like it's going off." I mean, that one was a good shot, but that one wasn't. Just move this sight. Exactly. It's not, it's something that that is not done enough, and we pay three hundred and ninety five hundred bucks for those sights to have one, knobs. And here's the thing: like one click. Unlike an Excel, you're probably not going to be able to. Probably not going to be able to see it. Well, I, you can't aim that good. <clears throat> like I was ranked number four on the planet before, and I probably can't tell that. I know I can't tell the difference between one click. It's right. more of a mental click. Right. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> like, like you're right. Like oh, I'll hit right that time. I'll click it once. Now it's definitely going to hit center. It I'll takes, be, I'm super confident they don't hit there. It takes twenty clicks to move that thing one hash mark. Well, I was going to say. What's funny about it is one click is probably is it even a human hair? Seriously, no, I don't think it is. I don't remember what it is. It's, it's something crazy, minuscule. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, but no, what I was going to go back to, you know, when it looks to uh, find out where I always have a saying in three D. You find out what your maximum effective distance is. Mm-hmm. So I always tell customers and people that are getting into the sport, you know, put a put a Sprite bottle cap or a two liter bottle cap out there. You keep backing up until you miss it you start missing it until you can you know you keep backing up until you can hit it hit it hit it and let's say it's 32 yards you should be aiming at every single 12 from 20 to 32 yards at every target mm-hmm. once you get over that then you start playing the game maybe you know as, yeah. as far as cutting yards to drop in and to aim safe because you've got that's your your tendency basically because um, i'm a big advocate of like I'm sure you may or may not do this, but you know, you get, you walk up there and you're the fifth guy in a five round group, and you've got three guys donutting the bottom lower twelve, and you've got two in the upper, and you're like, holy Toledo! Do you just lay up for a ten? You're not winning tournaments doing that. Well, I'm not. Gonna, and like, you've got to kind of. What I'm, I'm of the opinion that you look at that upper twelve. You only got two arrows in it. Is there room in the bottom? And if there is, okay. Let's aim at those two knocks up there, and let's cut a half yard. Yeah, that's and that's exactly what I do. Yeah, the only thing that sucks is like when it's somebody shooting a a slower arrow to try and like drive in to yeah. where they're not getting glance outs. And right. All of a sudden they hit a lower twelve, and they the arrow kicks up, kicks and all there will be a it's the always shaft. It's <laughs> always an X cutter or yep. a 30x <laughs> or a PS twenty six or yeah. a Super Drive twenty seven. Oh, it it's never like yeah. They never just gracefully hit it in a gentleman's right. twelve. We call it gentleman's twelve, and there's the other word I won't. I can't use it, but we call the it the twelve. We call it, we call it the D twelve. <laughs> but like, dude, it's always that arrow always kicks right to the center of the twelve. It's on the edge. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. But yeah, but I'll always try and play the safe side of it. So like, even in that situation, like if say somebody there's three of them stuffed in the bottom, I'm the fourth or fifth guy. Two of them stuffed the bottom, one stuffed in the top, and it kicked up and it's blocking a lot of it. Like, I'll just look and see, like, well, that bottom one, they're in there pretty straight. They're both stuffed center. I'll just aim at them and give it three clicks. Right. Just bear down on them and hope I, at worst case scenario, I dip low, kick the top, kick off the top of the arrow, and hit a 12. Correct. Or hit a hit a, hit a a 10. Hit a 10. Or I'll yeah. skate in right next to them. Right. Right. Um, 
What do you think is your toughest target out there as far as yardage goes on a course? Like judging? I don't have to not, do that. Not judging. <laughs> I'm talking about your toughest target from a yardage standpoint. I'm, the reason I'm asking is because I have – there's one for me. That like a killer. specific target? Not a specific target, but more the range. Because like, I, I, let me ask you, could, let me be more specific. Do you over-aim and find your closer shots tougher than your longer ones? No, not really. Really? I mean, I, I think I've missed 112 on targets less than – 32 yards last year so you don't think about it at all no because so, i can draw back and see him and like my dot my pin it, like i can sit there and bounce around inside the 12 right. ring like i do on an x ring on a five spot so i'm like wow so i i keep track of all my stuff because i'm like nathan i like to track stuff and i um i had five targets last year that cost me top fives put me in top 10 instead or top 12 and they were all under they were all under 25 yards mm-hmm. just you know over aiming, letting down two times, having to break the shot on the third time, which really sucks because I'm just pressing so freaking hard. Because you, yeah. you know you 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 can't miss those. Yeah. Well, I for me, I suppose it's more like situational. So right. like, I'll start struggling a little bit if I'm like if I don't get. For me, I always have to like like hit a groove when I start. So like a good example is last year Kentucky. I was even through ten targets. And I mean, I That's ended tough. up. Yeah, well, because then you start to press, and then I was pressing, and I had a good second half. I hit seven to ten, Dang, but like shooting. that's fourteen. Then that's yeah, that's off of ten eight. on ten, off ten, like ten through half. <laughs> but like, there's a lot of times where I'm in that situation where I'm like four or six up through ten, and I'm like, I gotta, you know, I gotta press hit second gas. gear here, and I start to press, <clears> and all of a sudden it turns out like Texas this year to where. I'm six up through ten, and you know, end up like twelve up. Yeah. Because I'm pressing, I start dumping one. I'll hit one, dump one, hit one, dump one. Yeah, those are killer. So like for me, it's just situational. But I don't really get like, it's weird. I don't get like super nervous on three D course. Maybe it's because I haven't been in the same situation and get nervous like I have in like a FIDA tournament or something. But you know, for me and Jason, you haven't got got a chance to experience it yet, but 3D is just, I think it's hard to get nervous unless you're in a shoot down. I mean, you're with a group of your peers, four guys, you're out on a range. There's a very different atmosphere. It's a completely different atmosphere. You're kind of by yourself. You're up on the stake by yourself. Quite frankly, the guys behind you really don't give a crap where you hit. They just care about where that arrow is landing and when they so walk up they to it, up so to they can it, go yeah. after it. Yep. So there's just I, I have never quite frankly ever felt pressure on a 3D course. Now I imagine I'm, if you make a shoot down, it's a whole different. Well, make game. a shoot down or like again bad example. Like I'm maybe I'm a bad example, but like in the pro class, if you're like if you're in the top peer group and you can see what the guys behind you are at, right? And if you're right on that cut line and you're like, well, I gotta hit these next three. Well, the coffee talk starts happening. Yeah, hey man, Justin, he's just killing it. Oh, right dude, now. He's, a, he's like he's twenty up, six out of last yeah, eight. Yeah, exactly. But even then, like I, I don't know. I always feel like I can. I've always historically done really well in shootoffs and like USA stuff and right. USA and World Archery FIDA stuff. As long as you don't watch that video of me in Turkey with Rio, um, <laughs> watch the video. Of him watch the Turkey video. It's also awesome. it 2015 Turkey Antalya. Yeah, it's awesome. You got to watch it. <laughs> I'll never forget Mel right after that. <laughs> Bleep you! What? <laughs> <to Rio. laughs> but yeah. uh, I don't, for me, it's like a shoot off every arrow, right? Because like you, you only got one chance to, you know, hit it or jack it up so, so but I, let me ask you a question though do you not this is what i love about 3d and what i hate about fida usa 
you're never kind of out of the game unless you're about 12, 15 in. Meaning that you can make up points, yeah. which we can't do. I mean, you yeah. know how it is. You know, honestly, and I want you to be honest with me. When you shot those three, that third nine, or I think it was second nine, day one in Vegas, you're pra- it's very expensive practice for you after that, correct? I would have made the same amount of money if I just walked off the line and didn't shoot my other exactly. four arrows. Exactly. So my point being is that you know when you're in that USA archery, that FETA stuff, you you miss. You're, well, you're done. Like That's out- never the case in ASA. Like outdoors is a little different than indoor because – well, like unless you got like two ends, unless you got like one or two ends left, but like right. there've been a lot of times where I've been six, eight points out, and I bear down, bust out three fifty nines and a sixty. Yeah, and then you're three fifty nines and a few sixties, and all of a sudden now I'm in first place by two points. Right. So, but at the same time, like shooting a twelve when you need it is a little different than stacking together thirty arrows. Right. And putting them in a two inch ring at. 55, 55 yards. Meter, yeah, 55 yards, yeah. I mean, it's just different. Yeah. But at the same time, I've been on the flip side of that, too. Right. I've been eight points in first place. And I remember in Turkey in 2000, was it 2015, 2016, maybe, I shot a 359. I only missed one point in the first half, and I was up by, like, nine or ten points on everybody. Right. And then I shot, like, a 346 because I started to get gas. It was super hot, and I, oh, yeah. my bow was not set up for longevity right. for me. right. And I gassed out, and then I ended up in, like, eighth place. Right. So, I, you know, you can have a big point swing still, but it's, like, you got to – it's got to be a turn on. Like, Correct. you got to hit it and just grind it out. Right. But, I mean, the 3D is the same way. And any more on the upper end of everything, like, you, I mean, you, yeah, you can say you're never out of it, but, man, even, like, in Kentucky, I'm 10 down. If I'd hit – or I was – even through 10, if I'd hit that next 10, I still would have been. I'd be yeah. 20. But you still would have been. What? I still would have been in eighth place. Yeah, right. Which, I mean, that's striking distance, but right. uh, you, you have to shoot well the entire time regardless. Yeah. Well, I think the support to get to the point that you just got to shoot damn good. You're, yeah. you're never gonna, three days. You're never going to have that situation. They'll akin it to golf. Uh, you'll never have the situation of Tiger at the Genesis in like 2005 or whatever. He's down by seven with five holes left and he comes back to win yeah you just we just you don't have that anymore no i agree even and in like, golf you don't have it i mean you just, just got to be good for two to three days period it, it's just the way it is you were saying that you don't really miss those short targets i just took care of that for you i texted asa they're putting a hill country uh deer target for you <laughs> Damn, i'm gonna shoot I'm, I'm, at 20 I'm yards off, i'm gonna skip off the back yeah. 20 yards <laughs> 20 yards I'm gonna, skip off the, deer target. I'm gonna skip funny, off the back of that damn thing. Funny story to that. Bridger moved here in August, got his license, went out to deer hunt. And did you kill a deer with a bow this year, Bridge? Uh no, I scared missed the crap three, out of him. I missed three and skipped off the back of and, one. And how many deer did you miss in your career before that? Maybe none? <laughs> one, but that was one. with a recurve at thirty five yards. At thirty five yards, so that'll count. <laughs> So these deer down here in South Texas are ninjas. Yeah, they are. They are so fast. And, and, and I, I always told Bridget, I'm like, look, dude, just aim low into the ground and you'll kill them. And yeah, he, do this. What did you tell me? I'll tell you, you the same. I'll tell you. I, you aim at something the same way. I've aimed at every deer the exact same way <laughs> for 20 freaking years. It's a hard habit to break. Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> well, then, and then I told him, okay, okay, so get a deer like at 30 and shoot him for – use your 20-yard pin. No, nope, can't do it. Can't, can't do, do it. it. <laughs> I know it's 30 yards. 
<laughs> Maybe I'll just sight in like 10 feet low. Yeah, that's funny. That is hilarious. Yeah, you'll be good with that. Yeah. Is, man, it... Hey, so talk about some fun facts, maybe. Um, you know, Bridge, you get to shoot the, the, the pro side of the circuit on ASA. Um, who's the craziest guy out there? I mean, no, let's take it back. Who loves to argue about line calls more than anybody else out there? Put throw them under the bus, and hopefully they won't care. I don't – I've never – I mean, I haven't shot enough to know for sure. I mean, everybody always talks about Gillingham. Oh, Gillingham. I was going to tell you. I know. I I've heard stories. one time uh, – it was one of the first ASAs I'd ever shot, and I was shooting with Donnie Thacker and Sam Wolthus. I can't remember who our other guy in our group was, but, like, I told everybody, like, hey, I'll give my input if you ask for it, but, like, I've already been scolded for how I call 3D targets yeah, coming from paper a bunch. And so I was like, I'll just kind of be the back end of this. As far as I'll be, the, like, the fourth caller. Fourth caller, yeah. And... Use me there if was, you need me. <laughs> man, there was one I looked at. It was, I think Sam had a real close one. And the target was a little beat up. And I, man, I hate throwing him on the bus. I feel bad. But he goes, he's like, man, well, if that was a fresh target, I would have been pulling it. And the whole group was like, yeah, 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 it's good enough. It's good there. It's You got it. You got it. And like two targets later, I had the exact same arrow, exact same arrow calling him like, Listen here, mother effort. That line's going straight into it. <laughs> like you, you're gonna cheat me. I mean, none of us matter at this tournament at this point. We're all right. like, we're there's four targets left on the weekend. And this was back when it was known fifty before we had known pro. Right. And first place is at like fifty up, and we're sitting at like eighteen. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. Right. Like, and you're just gonna cheat me out of a call when that one got. I mean, I hate the whole like. That one, if that one over there was in, this one's in. But I'm like, man, at least call them the same the whole time. It'd be consistent, like a like an umpire. But you know, you call two balls in the outside, you call yeah. two balls all year. I mean, all, all game. I don't know. I, well, <laughs> again, I hate throwing the best because I I love Sam and Donnie. Yeah. I've shot with them for a long time because they're all from the Midwest. But like, man, I, every once in a while, like we, I don't. know. It's always weird. And you and I were talking about this the other week. We when like as a pro shooting with amateurs and watching them call versus us calling other right, pros. Right. And like, I even talked to Rob, Rob Koffel about it. I talked to like when I was shooting the Iowa pro-am, I talked to, cause I know all those guys up there that the turn the organizing committee, like, man, there should probably be two, two pros per target because amateurs do call arrows very differently. Oh yeah. Because, I mean, and I'm not saying amateurs don't know as much, but, like, there's a lot less experience when it comes to calling. Like, man, I, I'm scared to think about how many arrows I've looked at and scored. Right. Not only, like, in a tournament situation, but I come back and look at it from a practice situation. Right. Like, I bet it's millions yeah. of arrows that I've looked at and had to call. And, I, I don't know, we just look at arrows differently. And the way we can reconstruct a target on paper... Yeah. The way we can understand how a target responds on a 3D course. And I've even looked at a lot less targets than a lot of amateurs have, but I don't know. And I'm not saying like us pros, we like to, that we're always favoring or trying to get an arrow to call it or like cheating to call an arrow in because we, well, I'm sure for 20 grand, there ain't no way I'm giving anybody an arrow call. Right. Exactly. But at the same time, man, I, there's a lot of stuff that gets, that shouldn't be got shouldn't be get called or bleh, shouldn't be getting called out that does right and i 
I don't know. I feel like I'm a very fair caller. Well, isn't one of the I don't, and I don't know if one of the rules is, but I know the way we call even in the, in the senior known is if we can't call it out, it's in type yeah. deal. That's what I mean, we look it should at. It. Go. We're mean, trying just, to. You want to give the shooter the benefit of the doubt. I mean, that's run, my opinion. That's the way I've. It's always runner ties. Or, yeah, tie goes to the runner, like in baseball. You know, and I, and I, I agree know, with that. But, um, you know. Who's the, who's the funnest guy to shoot with in the last couple of years since you've been doing this? Uh, I don't. I like. I love shooting with the Marlows. <laughs> Duh. Who I mean, it? everybody loves. Everybody likes the <laughs> Jacob Marlos. and Tyler. Jacob are and crazy. Tyler are a lot of fun. Yeah. Garrett's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I shot with Justin and Hannah at Paris. Yeah. First day or second day. And I had a good time with Justin. Well, Justin had a good weekend in Vegas. Yeah, I, I had said like, yeah, well, your we money there, was on it. When we were sitting <laughs> yeah. there watching, I was like, hey, if somebody walked by and asked for hundred dollar bets, I would have put a hundred bucks on it. Justin, yeah. But uh, no, I look. I don't. I, I guess there's nobody that I like dislike. Right. And I think that goes for about everybody in the pro class. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, there some people that we like less. Right. What? But, yeah, we'll talk about that. What's the crazy? <laughs> what? So you know, you've been shooting the pro class now for what ASA for three years now? Probably just coming into it three years, four years. Yeah, yeah. What's I mean, you, since I started the non-pro, I've been yeah. shooting that. So, what was uh, what's the craziest thing you've seen on the course? Any any good crazy stories? Not really. It's always been pretty vanilla. Pretty mellow. Pretty vanilla. That's crazy. I, thought I mean, I've heard arrows skipping through the trees, and yeah. I mean, everybody has, but yeah. I don't. Know, I don't have any like wild and crazy stories. Gotcha. But the craziest shooting stories I have, I have is watching a dude's Alpha Elite split in half. Split in half, like at the riser. That little cage at the bottom. Yeah. Like he shot and he just heard, and his arrow landed the next ring, and then he was like holding his bow up, and like the riser just the bottom of the riser just hanging, and the bottom limb and cam was just dangling, just swinging by the <laughs> swinging by the strings. That's crazy. That was a Lancaster. That was back when it was at the store. Um, I remember one of the first national IBOs I went to when I was a little kid. It was the first year that Matthews had the Monster Series bows. Oh yeah, and like. This dude, I, this guy was shooting like eighty-five pounds, just yeah. rocket ships, man. And he, we're shooting on the practice bags, and I'm at full draw, and I just hear boonk, and I, like I'm like that sounded weird. And I see his arrow; he's shooting right in front of me. I see his arrow like fly in front of me and hit the ground like ten feet in front of us. And I like come out of my anchor, turn and look. His cams like locked up halfway through the shot cycle, and I just, just stopped. Yeah, I had one arrow in the bag. I just let down. So his limbs and left. Were, yeah, his limbs were theoretically still half drawn. Oh yeah, I just let down and left, and he's like eyeballing the cam. It's like <laughs> right in his face, like two inches from his face. He's like looking at. Me, I wonder why that happened. I'm like, yeah. dude, I, dude, you need. I a, still don't know what happened to that arrow. It's wow. in the bag. It's if that if whoever has that <laughs> from funny. Bedford in like 2008. Yeah, that's mine. That's hilarious. His old <laughs> you left in light speed 3D. Wow, but yeah, oh, that was that's probably the scariest scariest yeah. thing I've ever seen on a three D course. Yeah, but that's crazy. So know, there's not a lot of crazy, yeah, you crazy know, stuff that happens. You know, Braden funny you say, through a window in China one time. It's funny you say that though, because <laughs> did he really? His release blew up. Yeah, and we shoot in a big stadium. Yeah, and his release blew up and he was drawn back and put it into an office. That's good. That's a stadium there. <laughs> yeah, but honestly, archery is pretty pretty mellow you know statistically it is the safest sport on the planet yeah 
there are more people injured playing golf yeah. than shooting archery. They're shooting archery, yeah. That's yeah, it's because people get to drink and drive well, duh, when they're playing golf. Golf carts? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's always a couple. There's always that guy that got shot in Redding. Yeah. And Chance pulled the, get, pulled the arrow out of his leg. That's a good story. If anybody ever bumps into Chance, ask him about when that guy got shot. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, that that hasn't happened in a couple of years. No, the last year, nobody got shot. The year before, that's somebody had their thing. phone. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Somebody had their phone in their pocket, and an arrow flew over target and kicked off kicked the phone. Off. Yeah. Well, you know, ASA is weird because sometimes I'm well, on can one see, of the courses. You can see people walking. I'll see people 200 yards away. Yeah. Like at, in Foley, you'll be able to the see chances it. Chances are the arrow's not going to make it through the trees, but What's, you know how it is. Murphy's <laughs> Law. <laughs> What's that? That Bojucky video or somebody posted this dude just like drawn straight up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might have Gaze Carter that took that video, but the dude's straight up in the air. It's crazy. And coming down on the practice bags. I remember seeing that. Yeah, Man, crazy. that was wild. So, um, real quick to recap, we just got back from Vegas. Um, you know, Bridget and I were watching the finals, the shoot off, and there's been a lot of uh, talk about, man, how Douglas didn't get his due. Uh, because the I, way it was won, it was kind of crazy well, because it happened. That's in, happened before, too. Really? When. When Sergio won as the lucky dog, there was only five or six guys, including him. Right. Um, like he won in the first end. Same with Kyle. Right. That wasn't the first time for Kyle, but he. Kyle was about third end. Third end, but yeah. he won outright, and then they still had to shoot for second and third. Right. And like, ah, oh, man, I just don't know how you get around the, right. the style of those shoot offs. I don't know a way to fix it. And it. God, it sucks because they like do? I was sitting right next to you. I damn near started crying. Oh, dude, because I've known you Kyle got, for yeah. so long. You I got, got little, super emotional. Got emotional. He's like, I heard that from a lot of people. I mean, they got emotional. I don't know a single human being on the planet that doesn't like Kyle Douglas. Right. So shout out to Kyle, awesome dude. He just started an archery shop where he's at. There, he's worked with Gold Tip for a long time. He's traveled. He's traveled and put up with Tim Gillingham for years, <laughs> which is. And no small feat. Yeah, he's a saint. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm sure I know Tim was all busted up after he won. Yeah. Um, I don't know. There are a lot of people that like I did. I welled up a little bit. Yeah, and was, did. I was crazy. I was right there with him. him. That was cool. But yeah, dude. I, but you know, I don't know how. You, don't they? Aren't some of the some of the other classes they just revert back to original score and and uh, X count to look at the placements after that after it's been won. Or I, I don't know. I thought I heard something about that. There was some talk about it, you know. Uh, yeah, but for flights, championships, championships first, second, and third has to has be broken to be shot. Up. After which, after third place, then it gets busted up by exits. Which is brings me to another thing to talk about real quick with Vegas. While, as we're wrapping up, if there's one post about it, there's been a thousand, and I couldn't agree more because as a spectator seeing it, the act to shoot for twenty three guys to shoot. It takes roughly two minutes to get freaking four judges, three of them, one scoring and three calling, takes literally 18, 15 to 18 yeah. minutes. It was ridiculous. It's, would, it's really dumb. I would rather see it's gotta it. got to change. I would rather see it how, I mean, you've never been to Yankton for the car shoot-off, but the way they do the car shoot-off, right. they have a couple judges walking up and down the line. They're just looking at them like, yeah, in, 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 in. Oh, that one's out. Or like. And they'll pull one that's out, or they'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, that one's pretty close. Let's take a look at it." Right. Um, I would rather see it like that because everybody in the crowd knew Kyle won. Yeah. A by his reaction. B 
held like the rest of us the, like the, the shooters reactions they were like high-fiving him dude you got yeah. it and you still have to sit there and wait so for everybody in the stadium kind of knew it heck the guy announcing i thought he i loved him because he oh, was george george he was kind of calling everything way before the judges were and he's sitting 20 or 31 yards probably from the targets well, to be fair he also had like an 80 power yeah, swallow but, but then again right uh, yeah i get he, it it still goes down to the fact it doesn't take three guys to call those lines and I just think it needs to change. It, it got to well, get it to where maybe I, a, maybe a flag system where the the main judge goes through and like you said, looks those three are in flag red, uh, you know green flag, in green flag, in and if there's a yellow flag, then we get a secondary judge to come in and validate what, an error. What I find interesting is that so that tournament this year, Kyle won fifty four grand. Yep, and that, well, that was just a tournament. Then you know not including probably contingency money. He made probably close to a hundred grand. Yeah, somewhere between ninety and a hundred thousand dollars. Right. That in contingency checks in the tournament like there wasn't a single arrow that was called i mean i don't know if he had arrow calls or not earlier in the weekend but for argument's sake we'll say that that none of his arrows none of the 90s arrows that got him into that shoot off right. needed the judge for it to be called it was exactly. all peer called all exactly. archer called exactly now i get the shoot offs bigger you got to make so a presentation you got to show can but, you go through real quick and explain to the listeners why they went to that three judge because there's a reason you you and i talked about well, it. well I, I assume this is the reason i don't know for sure but it happened the year after so the I, 2009 real one yeah it was 2009 real one against morgan london uh-huh and he had like morgan shot three x's no doubters and Rio had two smokes and one that was like, meh, don't know. It was a close one. Yeah. First judge called Rio's out. Rio wanted the second opinion. That judge called it in. Then Morgan's like, well, hey, hold on. He had another judge get called over. So now you're up to your three judges. And that third judge called it in. And Bruce was like, well, okay, we're not going to have any more judges called. And then, you know, then they started shooting again. And then Rio won like an end or two later. Right. But year after that, still in the rib they started that three judge system now obviously your best two out of three yeah no recalls no right. disputes i get it but it's uh, just too slow well and it sucks because it's the most accurate way to do it but from a show standpoint it's terrible it's not great it's kind of like having three judges come up and say tiger it's in the hole but we're going to look at it and make sure or like having <laughs> I mean, having more than one. well, even with golf, like they're playing the Masters and they, they like there is one rules judge that comes over. Correct. Like if there's a rule dispute or whatever, there's right. one one judge. official that comes right. over. And that's why I, I think they need to get a really really good official and just make that guy he it's in or out. It's like one umpire calls balls and strikes. Yeah, just a little you know, guy. They need one to make it like the XFL. Yeah. Just uh, CTE all day. It is. You guys, you guys had yeah. Vegas. I had the XFL. Because here's here's the reason. I mean, you're, that guy is going to make the call in or out, and yeah. it's either. And you, you know, you as the archer, sorry, you have no skin in the game when when it comes to calling the arrow. You, you do in shooting it, but the guy's going to make the call, and if you're going to hope that he's professional, he's going to make it, you know, yeah. as objective as possible. But I just the timeliness between I was literally playing on my phone in between it because it was taking you were, so long. You were like a sixteen. It was girl it was insane. Snapchat because it was insane. Line. I was like, this is craziest thing I've ever seen because I'm not going to sit there and watch these three old farts walk down the line. And I love the well, first judge. I don't know his name, but the bigger guy, man, he oh, yeah, he yeah, calls yeah. him like 
it's it's well and uh, again and the other guys are getting down to their three it needs we to could, be we just could a see. no doubter like yes. if you have a doubter then you can bring your three judges yeah in. exactly or well, like close. The, the, figure out a system to where there are like the archers should be calling them and every it's i thought it was funny i made a joke about it when we were there they backed every up year line. every year it used yeah. to be you could be like three feet from the target right. then the next year it was like six feet from the target they then were busy, now they're like they're like <laughs> they're damn near 10 yards yeah they are they're way back well, there. Well, time to go take a seat next year. Did you hear? Seriously, what, did yeah. you hear what happened with Hanson in the uh, Lucky Dog? Did oh, they just that? breezed right by it, dude. And I heard. Hansen I saw the. Well, I saw. Pissed. So I saw the picture, and I, it was. I don't. Without seeing the arrow in there, I can't. You can't call it for sure. I just know Hanson was mad. He looked at it and said, "Well, if I shine a line, I can see yellow between my arrow and that line." No, it's whether that air, that line was broken or not. If some of it's the camera angle, the picture Stefan took, right? Some of it's just judge's discretion. But for him, he was upset because it was just again the way I can want to see the shoot off run where they're just like nope, 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 yep, 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 no, 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 like they just breeze straight past it. He's like, dude, that's that's pretty close. <laughs> well, I heard they actually got two more judges involved, and they in did. Yeah. He Stefan called Bruce over. He's like, dude, it, like, God. Guy, that's pretty. That's pretty stinking close. You gotta at least look at it, right? And then they, then Bruce called the three judges over to look at it, right? So I mean, the, the situation was remedied, but I don't know. It was just odd that one. I mean, it was remedied fairly quickly, and he continued to shoot well. He damn near won it, right? I heard he but, was pretty ticked off about it, though. Oh yeah, it wouldn't happen. But they're I mean, shooting for they're, they're shooting for an opportunity to go in and shoot for fifty Shoot's, some thousand dollars. Exactly, that's not chump change. That's for sure. And as somebody that has been as close to winning that tournament yeah. as Stefan has, that's... You know, and Jesse came out, I know, at the day after the tournament, and I tell you, props for Jesse. He's such a solid class act. He was I mean, about the first one to say, like, yeah. hey, He Kyle said, you know what, Kyle really deserves a whole lot more than this. I mean, well, and, anticlimactic. Like, that, com- that comes down to the type of shoot-off it is. So, right. like, they per the rules, they have to shoot off for second and third. Right. Which... I so mean, yeah, can I you ask could you say question? defer to X's after that after yeah. first is decided, but at the same time, your difference between your checks between second and second third, third, a lot of money, dude. That's about thirty grand. Yeah. So let me ask you a question from a pro's perspective: If they st- kind of stop the shoot off to let you know Douglas have his moment in the sun, I mean, let him have the glory, which I think should have happened, and then resume that shoot off maybe. 10, 12 minutes later, is that a disservice to the no. guy shooting second, third, fourth, and fifth? No. So you would be no, for it? because oh, I would be 100%. I, I think that's what's got to happen. Well, and for me as a competitor, especially like you saw how I was after – I mean, granted, yeah. I've been – You would have been the same way if you were on the well, line. You might have been a little more serious about it, but – I maybe would have been less influenced by other outside sources. Right. <laughs> but uh, – like I, I know I still would have gotten emotional about it and I would have loved to have had like as a competitor I would have loved to have had 10 minutes to cool off <laughs> yeah like if I was Jesse or Chris or somebody right um, but like I, I don't know I don't and also like who cares if they get pushed back 10, 12, 15 minutes right the guy just won they, already, they, they didn't win right you're right <laughs> like not, not, I, not I, honestly ass, I, I, I could see it and I felt you know, I know the guy wanted to jump up and down and go crazy, but I think at Douglas, out of respect for the tournament and his peers, he was well, pretty subdued. 
He was, and I saw. Because I, I think, he, I, I think he, he turned he around and was celebrating a little bit, but like, but not. There's like almost he, there's like three pictures of him celebrating. Yeah, which sucks. I mean, that's it the biggest is. moment of that kid's life so far. That's fifty some. He like you said, he won a hundred grand, arguably. Um, and I think because he's such a class act, he's like, man, I don't, I don't want to take over the spotlight because they still got to finish. So I'll just do a couple, yeah, yeehaws and. Oh Maybe I'm just an a-hole, but I think I told you, I was like, if I ever win Vegas, I think I might just tomahawk my bow into the crowd. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you can always get another one after that money. (laughs) No, it was cool. Um, Great tournament. Like I said, if you want to go experience, I think the highest pressure that you could ever experience as an archer, go shoot Vegas. It's 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 fun. I I said it once, I said it a hundred times, I detest shooting there because of what it does to me mentally. <laughs> oh, yeah. But it'll make like, you a mental you love, widget. If you love, like, the archer community and everything, it's right. a need to, or, like, it's a need to go. Without a doubt. Type thing. Yeah, everybody, everybody from the store here that went, that was their first time. Yeah. Which was pretty much everybody except you yep. and me. <clears throat> yep. They all had a the blast. Absolute blast. Oh, absolute blast. Yeah, without a doubt. But I think all of and, us were hey, equally. By the way, I was going to tell you, Tabansky, I seen Leah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She went out there, and actually, and what's his name? The other guy, the red hair guy that I kind of Kevin. Kevin. Kevin was there. Yeah, there was actually quite a few people pair guys there. You need to go next year, yep. bro. No, you know, yeah, you. I'll, I'll try not to get a gallbladder. Exactly. Taking yeah, out. dude. Can't believe you got gallstones. Gallstones? You, you kidding me? Just Gosh. Suck it up, Buttercup. I could have gone. I just didn't want to hang out with you guys. Yeah, I know. Whatever. I wanted to have the XFL. Are you good? Are you good? Are you gambling? <laughs> are you gambler? Uh. The last well, every time I go to Vegas, I usually come out with heavier pockets than what I go. Oh, for real? So you're going next year for sure? I'm giving you my money. I'm gonna. Yeah, we're gonna. We'll change that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hey, if it's your thought, money, I'm more you know, for it. Just I thought South I Point. I thought the South Point Casino was not a winner's casino. I just never heard anybody really. I've been to casinos before. There's a lot of big. There's a lot of winning. There's a lot of big jackpots there, but you can get sucked dry easily if you real just, quick. There's one casino well, no, that you quick, win a lot of money, but if you guys would have gone there, you probably would have come out with coronavirus or something. <laughs> so, oh, that's, really? That's the circus. No, the oh circus. Oh my god! I had said that. I was like, well, you. I asked my mom because the first year. How I much went is there, coronavirus worth? <laughs> I went there the first year. There, the first year I was in Vegas. It was still at the Riv, and the Circus Circus was right across the street. Yeah. Um, and the ribs since has been torn down, but uh, we stayed at the Circus Circus because it was like half the price. Right. Yeah. And then we got into the room and opened the door, and we're like, uh, "Yeah, I get it. Why it's uh, half the price?" Yeah. <laughs> and that was eleven years ago. Really? I mean, they renovated some of it, but dude, it's oh, pretty bad. I mean, I haven't been in there since. I literally yeah. have not gone back inside the casino, but it was rough. That old <laughs> saying: you can always polish it, but you still know what it is. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, funny. man, it was rough. That's I mean, you can you can cut the smoke with the knife in the in the Dude, casino, and that's. It is. I went there for shot show, man. and I I did not know about the shot show flu, and then the casino crud, and I came back with all of them. Gotcha. Oh, I've been bad. I've been hacking my lungs out at night. Well, the, the last cigarettes, three just all that smoke in the recycle. It's been like being on an airplane yeah. with that recycled air yeah. for like oh, five yeah. days. So yeah. we li- we live in Texas, and I don't know about other states out there or other countries, but you know most of the establishments here, food, bar, both, they're smoke free environments. Mm-hmm. You go to Vegas, we go into that casino, and it's it, you'll be walking it's right down the middle past the craps tables, and some and dude will take a big old rip oh, out yeah. of a cigar, just right. See, in that's your where face. I that's where I usually make my money. <laughs> I hang well, see, out at the craps tables. 
Lucky for you, you're like I'm low. I'm where the yeah, I say he's under out. the smoke line. Yeah, it's <laughs> not fair. He's gonna sit in a chair. Hey, push me around. I can always I can always bring a spare. Yeah, okay, that's crazy. It was a good time though. Good time. Good food. Actually, I think the casino had pretty darn good food. I mean, most of the restaurants are decent. I won't eat at the buffet anymore. So I heard We're, the buffet was the one place the, that you don't go. The first year I went there, it was they had tandem. Uh, World Indoor Championships, and then which, the by the way, who won the World Cup this year? Uh, Mikey, Mike, and Paige in Paige the in the sauce. compound, yeah. and I could couldn't tell you on the rigor. Yeah, I don't know, but Brady, uh, I know, didn't win it. Which, by the way, real quick, uh, let's switch gears. Congrats, to him! First oh my God, Brady ever. Ellison shot a nine hundred with he, a yep. curve bow. He could have not shot his last arrow one by four points. I, I, I don't <laughs> think you know. For I'm going to tell you right now, folks. I mean, it's never been done in history. You know, he did with a recurve what a lot of guys can't do with a compound. Yeah. I mean, there's just no – I can't – and I know you had talked about it. Um, I hope we can get him on this show one time because I'd love to talk to him about that. He's, did, he, I, did you see the video that was done? Yeah. Afterwards? Oh, yeah. I, I could watch I that a hundred times that cool because I love the fact he comes off the line – it, 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 for those of you who haven't seen it, you got to go on and watch it because he comes off and he's ready to yell, and there's still guys at full draw. Yeah. So, he catches himself and he stops it, and then when he says, "God, I hate archery," so <laughs> it was like, awesome. The reason, and maybe not, but I know part of it was probably in his brain when he came off the line and was ready to just like go nuts, lose, lose his it, yeah. mind. So he got a ton of flack. Why? After he shot the world record at uh, Pan Am Games, yeah, yeah, in Lima. He shot a was it seven hundred five seven hundred two seven hundred two. He shot a seven hundred two last arrow like he had had to shoot a nine shot a ten in his last arrow and he came off the line and just went and crazy. like everybody's like oh my god how disrespectful and see which is wild to me like everybody else lost who cares well, <laughs> what kills me you know and this is you know maybe we'll talk about this in another show and we may have covered it a little bit but that's what the sport's missing that sport is missing that emotion that that brawl just freaking dude i mean i don't care what anybody says if he had to come off there and dropped f-bombs to 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 the wits end shooting a 900 with a recurve is no joke i mean the guy can do whatever he wants and i think it's amazing you know and i i love that emotion i like i said i can watch that video a hundred times he's had that same yeah he's had that same reaction all year when he won worlds when he won over in lima the guy's i I mean he's killing i want to see a mike iconelli Yes, a Mike Iaconelli in this Living sport. dreams! <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Never give up! Yeah. <laughs> Hell, he had t- t-shirts made with that. Made millions. Well, what's the bowling guy's name? Oh, um, Roth. I get it! Yep. Who do you think you are? I <laughs> That was exactly. everyone that came out. Bowling. Like bowling. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. that the This Is Not a Hobby guy? No, that was uh, Kisner. Okay. Yeah. That story. That this ain't no hobby, fellas. <laughs> that was not at a PGA tournament because <laughs> that was like beer seventeen through eighteen holes. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> if I read the story correctly, that's awesome. But anyways, no, it was a it was a great week weekend. Um, man, the tournament season is really starting to ramp up. Um, you know, we're getting Jason trying to get his butt back in shape. He's got about six weeks before he goes to uh, Mexico City. Um, are you going to Mexico? What is it? Monterey. Monterey. Monterey, Mexico, to get his final spot, hopefully, for the uh, Paralympic Games. And uh, so we're going to be cranking and ranking over the next probably six months when it comes to archery. Yeah. Um, we'll get back into the into the saddle, though. And I, I know we've got a lot of Instagram posts about um, 
subject matter. I think yes. we're going to do one episode and just cover all those in one episode. And we need to do a listener's question. Yeah, and if we can do a listener question, it would be even better. Yeah, so yeah. if we can get it online somehow. Um, but anyways, it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. We're excited about it. We've got some great guests lined up, I know, with Paige tomorrow. Um, and that, that's just going to get bigger and better as we keep going on. And I'll tell you what, I got stopped in Vegas numerous times um, talking with people, and a lot, two of these people are from out of the country, um, and they love what we're doing. So we're going to keep giving you the content. Man, keep sharing it. Keep talking about it. And let's grow this thing because I, I know we're doing something different. And I heard that from all the people that, that stopped me talking about it. So Absolutely. It's kind of cool. We want more people to listen so we can pay the bills. Heck, yeah. That exactly. Doubt, without a doubt. So. <laughs> we need you guys to buy our hats, buy our shirts, hey, buy our stickers. No, on a serious note, we, we got some, we got some, some swag stuff. coming. I have a yep. great idea for a T-shirt, and I yeah. share it with Scott and yeah. Jason. It's going to be pretty cool. And, and I added my two cents to the to the idea no, Scott that loved Scott's it. Scott's not going to happen. He agreed. No, to I do it. not agree. Not happening. I'll tell you what. Here's the deal. I will. We'll do that shirt when he sings in that mic. Well, that's already. Hey, I thought my idea was like pretty vanilla. No, no your idea was fucking his yeah. with the the. Yes. The, <laughs> I'll do it. The headband when you sing. He already agreed because he to can wear sing. it during a podcast when you sing. Exactly. Oh, okay. So, so you we'll gotta, work on you, that. you're gonna rip them them lungs out because Bridger Deaton can sing. Memory I mean, he's really good. Alone in the <laughs> no, no, no he's some being Conway Twitty. He's being stupid now. So, right, anyways, folks, we appreciate you. you. We love you. Um, keep listening, and we're gonna keep the content coming. We'll see you next Friday. Mm-hmm.